This episode of How To Wrestling was requested by Russell Kidd, one of our lovely backers over at patreon.com forward slash how to wrestling. And hey, if you go over there now and sign up for as little as $5 a month, you don't just get access to over 100 pay-per-view reviews from AEW, WWE, NXT, etc. You'll also get access to our fabulous side series, including the The Big Show Show, our upcoming series where we're going to very timely review Roads to the Top and the crown jewel in our Patreon is of course pay-per-view classic you may have seen we had the survivor series 98 episode drop here on the main feed for free recently a brand new episode awaits you i've been inspired from doing the eddie guerrero watching we have decided to review and cover nearly three hours in length nwo sold out 1997 and let me tell you folks that episode was as wild and weird as you could imagine and seeing as our last episode of pay-per-view classic was on the world bodybuilding federation's pay-per-view you know you're in for a particularly good time but hey another faffing around it's a big episode we're really excited for you to hear our thoughts about one of the all-time greats it's time finally to learn about the life and times of the legendary eddie guerrero Friends, and welcome to an episode of How To Wrestling, the world's first podcast detailing how to wrestling, how to get into wrestling, how to understand wrestling, and goodness knows maybe even how to enjoy wrestling. And I'm joined today on this episode of episodes, me, your old pal, Cowboy Kevin, by my better half, Joe Graham. Joe, how are you doing today? Hello, I'm okay, thank you. It's a big episode. It is a big episode. It's an exciting episode, though. I think it is probably, like, in many respects, like, it's an episode that I knew when we started would be a big episode. Mm. I don't think I could have, like, maybe anticipated that as the years went on from when we started that it would feel like an even bigger and bigger episode. How do you mean? I mean, do you remember what you said at the end of the last one and the end of Eddie Kaufman? No. No idea. <laughs> Look, every time we record anything, I am basically in like a, my brain is just made of mist. Oh, and I see. And then once the recording is over, the mist dissipates <laughs> and is gone no, forever. No more mist. Yeah. So basically you said at the end that you thought that Eddie Guerrero, from your, your reckoning, was one of the most influential, if not, I think you even said the most influential wrestler right. of all time and that's kind of stuck with me because I honestly feel like a wrestling show doesn't seem to go by without a tribute or acknowledgement or a, a tip of the cap of some sort yeah especially if you're including any. like character influences or even more so wrestling like the actual art of wrestling like the performances the moves so many of them are influenced by Eddie yeah I think he is someone whose influence has managed to grow and grow and grow. And it is a very unique story, that of Eddie Guerrero. I mean, it's a story which there are highs and there are lows. There's tragedy involved, but there's also probably one of the best wrestlers of all time and also one of the greatest characters in wrestling all looped up in this kind of tangled tale. So we're going to try and, you know, chart a course through the life and times of of Eddie Guerrero, I want to start by asking you, you know, before we got into our research for the episode, because he has appeared a few times, mm. what did you know about Latino Heat, Eddie Guerrero? I knew that he was, as I said, like, a very important wrestler. Like, he, he's, he's a weird one because, like, he comes from an era of wrestling which I'm not massively familiar with. Okay. Like, 
I'm, I'm guessing here, it's somewhere between like 2003 and 2007. I mean, that would have been his main event right. run in WWE would have fallen into that category. Yeah. yeah. And I feel that's like a period of wrestling which I know the least about. Mm. And so, but, but, I, and yet I, we've done like, things that have come around that time like either before or after you know people who have like wrestled through those periods and so he just feels like a very permanent fixture right of wrestling and i think as well because he wrestled in a lot of different companies so a lot of people who maybe weren't just with the wwe have wrestled with him as well he has shown up a few times in previous episodes he showed up on the ecw episode we used him and dean malenko as an example about the you know wrestling that actually took place in Mm. the company as opposed to the weapon stuff you know, he showed up. Actually, he was one of the only people who ever had back-to-back matches on this. We did the Rey Mysterio episode. Oh, yeah, he we had, had two. Yeah, had two. We had him and Eddie at Halloween Havoc in WCW, yeah. and then him and Eddie for a boy on a pole match. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, he has shown up. And, of course, in the China episode as well, he, yeah. had, he had shown up. So, yeah, it was kind of interesting to see kind of what your thoughts of how they've developed. Mm. I mean... As you've learned more about Eddie, has he kind of fit into the mold of what you thought he was from where you saw him earlier, or has he surprised you at all? He's pretty much exactly what I thought he would be, (laughs) and that he is very, very good and very, very talented. I think the thing that surprised me most was just like how everyone says that he was such a nice man, Mm. because like... Not too many of those in wrestling in that period, it feels like. You well, know. like, you know, there are nice people, but I feel you so often hear from certain antagonists like Triple H about how... <laughs> I'm an antagonist? Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't really like him because I'm an asshole. It's like, I, I don't feel like anyone dislikes him. Like, even Vince McMahon, like, you know, he doesn't like the smaller guys. And also Vince is a bit of a racist. Like, there's lots of factors working against Eddie. And yet even someone like Vince could see that he was very special. And it's not something as well that Eddie Guerrero, and there are many stories, you know, in wrestling where, you know, if it ends in a tragic death or or there is that kind of looming over it or whatever, that that kind of colours almost every, you know, rec- you know recollection of their, their wrestling career, whatever it is. Yeah. But I think it is very, very important to point out that all those accolades that you're talking about and the, the way in which he was regarded... This is all stuff that was like, you know, on the record and well out long before Eddie Guerrero passed away. Like yeah. this isn't just something where people kind of came around later in the day cynically or anything like mm. that. This is something that was kind of genuinely earned. We decided to kind of cast a, a, a wide as net as possible because this is someone who's involved in many different companies and whatnot. We were struggling, however, to find much in the way of, of documentaries or stuff that had been kind of done about Eddie's life and times since his passing, which, given his standing in wrestling and how much everyone kind of, you know, speaks about him, that kind of lack of stuff out there about him was a bit shocking to me, I thought. That WWE kind of, it has like a match collection or whatever Mm. with some little talking heads here and there, but there's not been like kind of a big Eddie Guerrero documentary. You know, ITV are working on one. Mm. This is coming out in 2023, and I looked up about it and it was like, Eddie Guerrero to be featured on their like sports stars who died tragically oh, young geez. series or whatever it is. Yeah. So that was kind of that was surprising to me. So we did look at some shoot interviews with Eddie Guerrero. We have some extracts from his book, but we also had as well the unfortunately titled documentary that WWE produced around a year or so before his his passing. Uh, do you want to share people this absolutely? I mean, I can tell why this was taken off the network and they don't mm. kind of want to maybe use it as much anymore. 
It's called Cheating Death and Stealing Life, the Eddie Guerrero story. Ah, mm. probably not the um, not not the one to go with in terms of the title. No, and there's a few references in this documentary which have aged very badly. And obviously, you can't see into the future. They couldn't have known anything. But it's just, yeah, it was a little bit hard to watch. You know, in hindsight, knowing what happened. We also watched as well to kind of get a picture of kind of you know, you know what he meant to certain people, and when they're not talking in the documentary with with the WWE logo in the corner, we did check out the first part of the Chris Benoit Dark Side of the Ring. You know, not, not to say it's spoilers or anything, but Joe, you are aware of what happened with Chris Benoit. Oh yeah, it's like a big part of wrestling's history. It's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's not something that we would wish to keep from you. God, you know, it's it's not really spoilers. <laughs> Spoiler, alert, but. The first part of that was quite good at detailing the relationship with Eddie Guerrero and many of his kind of contemporaries mm. and also kind of how he was, was viewed behind the scenes and kind of what his impact of, of his life and times were. Much more so than the documentary we watched for this really because they don't interview many of his friends a lot of family. this documentary. A lot of his family. They interview um, Dean Malenko. Yeah. But like... Um, Chris Benoit, I think he he was interviewed for five seconds. He got like one sentence. Yeah, very very um, um, peculiar that you know. And I think you know we can kind of talk more about you know, the relationships that he's had with some of these individual wrestlers and just kind of how that maybe colors in the the kind of the full picture of Eddie Guerrero. This mm. is not an episode about Chris Benoit no. or anything like that. But I just thought it was worth pointing out kind of where or sources of info were, were coming from in this. We find out about Eddie Guerrero first and foremost about his famous wrestling family from which he comes from. And I think this maybe came up in the Mysterio episode briefly, but the Guerreros is a legendary wrestling family that kind of spanned across the southern part of Texas, including places like El Paso and into Mexico itself. So Eddie Guerrero would have been born in Mexico, but he was raised in America, in Texas. But then because of where he's from, you know, El Paso, Texas... There is a strong Mexican and South American culture there. Mm. So it's not as clear a distinction as being like, well, you're either American or Mexican because it's kind of like its own culture. Yeah, exactly. In, in its own right, it's kind of broad or, or inaccurate to say, oh, it's a, just a blending of Texas and Mexico. Like these no, two no, cultures. it's its own it's, thing. It's its own thing very much so. And I think one of the great things about Eddie Guerrero in wrestling is that, you know, for, for me, a white lad from County Westmeath being able to be exposed to culture like that and actually finding someone really earnestly representing it throughout mm. his career. That was a really cool part, aspect of Eddie Guerrero, I thought. Yeah. So he, to make things more confusing, he spoke Spanish to his mother. He spoke English to his father. He spoke Spanish to some of the wrestlers he was training with, but he couldn't call spots in Spanish in the ring because he found it too difficult. I'm confused. So his dad was American. And his dad was Mexican. Why would he speak English to his dad if his dad was Mexican? Because his dad Is was... he trying to challenge his dad? Like, <laughs> you will learn English, dad. <laughs> well, no, because his dad, like, his dad is quite an amazing story. He literally, you know, walked into a gym in Texas and like, hey, can I train to become a boxer? And the guy's like, well, we don't do boxing here, we do wrestling. And then all of a sudden this fucking stud Gory Guerrero becomes a top wrestler and then becomes a top promoter promoting in Texas. Wow. So it kind of for him, I think it was because it was the language of, of the business and oh. you know, in much in the same way that I think we mentioned in episodes where we look at Japanese wrestling that English is still used quite a lot. I always forget that. It seems so strange. I mean it could have been almost that he was preparing his son, you know. I mean it was definitely to Eddie's advantage yeah. that he could speak both, both fluently. Yeah, definitely. And that's something that comes up in the promos a lot. I don't think I've seen anyone 
slip between languages mm. mid-sentence quite as effortlessly, effortlessly and as cool as Eddie Guerrero did. <laughs> I thought you'd be a fan of finding out about him as a little sweet boy. Oh my god. <laughs> Young Eddie Guerrero is literally, literally the cutest little guy. He's a little, little cute Owen Hart you're finding. Get him out of here. Fuck cute, off. <laughs> cute Eddie <Kick> Guerrero. <laughs> cute little Eddie Guerrero. It's so funny as well because he looks exactly the same, only smaller. And he's got this like little cheeky face. And he is so, so cute. Like, and he's not just cute because he looks cute. He's such a little sweetheart as well. Like all his family talk about like what he was like as a little kid and how yeah. he'd like every morning he'd like go up around every kid's bedroom and go up to their bed and wake them up and be like, are you awake yet? Good morning. <laughs> it was like, it referred to as being like a happy kid. Yeah. And like having a happy childhood, which is nice because it feels like a lot of times on this, on this podcast when we're talking about wrestlers yeah. growing up, like the, that even if they had a, a happy childhood in terms of, you know, they had good relationships with their family and all that, mm. that they kind of grew up in hard times. Mm-hmm. And the Guerreros, you know, Eddie says a lot in interviews that for them, they were a very happy family because the memory of such strong poverty was very much like it was in all of the, the elder children's minds still because his, his brothers like Mondo and Hector and Chavo Sr., they would have been much, much older than him. So they yeah. remembered being like having nothing, yeah. like absolutely nothing. So there was this great gratitude, very religious family mm-hmm. that they kind of held everything they had in, in high regard. Yeah. And you can see that, like, because his relationship with his family is so fucking endearing. It's probably mm. the most healthy yeah. wrestling family relationship oh, I've ever seen. Like, just they, they were so supportive of him. You know, obviously he comes from a wrestling family, so there was a bit of like, not pressure, but maybe a bit of like, come on, you're going to do some wrestling. And like, you know, it wasn't that he was forced into it. He really loved it and wanted to do it. And it's just like, he stayed in really good contact with them for his whole life. And it's, it's just really nice seeing these interviews with his like much older brothers and sisters and his mum. And they're all just talking about how like, you know, how great he is and how yeah. much they all love each other. And they've always been there for each other. And it's just like, it's just so refreshing on this podcast to get to talk about <laughs> someone who's just had, you know, really the best upbringing imaginable i mean like it, it, it's very rare that a childhood where there's a wrestling ring in the backyard is not a massive yeah. red flag you know but it's it's cool because you have this unique relationship where because he has older brothers and his father is, is kind of much older he's trained almost by the entire family because his dad was kind of you know not not an active wrestler by the time that eddie would have been training but you know he was he grew up in the dressing room, they were saying. He mm. would tie all the brothers' boots for them when they were going out for their matches. Hearing as well about his relationship with Chavo, who's technically his nephew, Chavo Guerrero. Mm. I'm sure he would have seen here and there. I know that he, he did some of the coordination on uh, Glow, and you were a big fan of oh, that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but... Him and Chavo, like, they used to run around, you know, in their little wrestling gear, eight years old. Yeah. And, you know, in the intermission on the shows that Gory would be running... They would run out and they would start jumping off the turnbuckle, you know. Doing years, little matches. Doing little matches. It's funny. It's like, um, was it Edge we did an episode on? Yeah. And he did the same thing. His yeah. little Him intermission matches. Yeah, yeah they, they put it on. I think they were like 12 or, or 13 or whatever. Yeah, not six and seven years yeah, old. Yeah, the, like. the, the youngsters here. This might be the youngest wrestling I think that we've heard of on this, uh, <laughs> on this podcast. 
there is still though that kind of um inescapable sense of this is the wrestling business and there is always a kind of that element of like i don't know what to call it toxic masculinity or toxic wrestling business or whatever it is but his dad passing away and telling him don't let my passing affect your life at all and that you know means that he's not going to cancel his wedding that's on the same week like the day after his funeral yeah, or whatever like four days after i think jesus christ but he like specifically said on his deathbed like don't you dare cancel your wedding if i die Ugh, thanks a lot you. dad jesus christ i think it was good though because eddie said himself that like he felt guilty about going ahead with the wedding but then like knowing that it's what his dad want would have wanted like literally did want yeah it made him feel a bit better about it and obviously like you know it's a good thing he got it wasn't like you know he shouldn't have gotten married like he should have gotten married it was a good thing he married the love of his life and they were really good for each other and i'm sure it wasn't easy getting married so soon after his father's passing but in some ways it's like maybe it was good for him yeah i mean Vicky Guerrero was someone who could probably warrant her own episode, her career, yeah, and kind love of spun that. off so much now. But I just wanted to kind of, you know, get your your sense of her. You know, she did pop up in a few interviews that we watched kind of before his passing and afterwards. Mm. But he, love of his life is interesting. I think she has very much had to carry the, the burden of being a wrestling wife and kind of being one of the yeah. most well-known wrestling wives. Not an easy lifestyle, I don't think. Oh, no, definitely not, yeah. Because, uh, you know, Eddie, you know, he's training from an early age. He's wrestling full-time from age 16 or thereabouts. Mm. So, and we saw, you know, with, with Bret Hart as well, this kind of, you know, you, you've been trained by a great wrestling family. The family are perfectionists. It's to a high level. You meet someone and it's like, well, I'm going to be gone you know, 25 days a month now. Yeah. That is not easy. And like, they're kind of saying like, well, you know, my job as the wife is I have to stay at home and I have to be the husband. I have to be the mom and the dad mm. and make sure the house is, is okay and everything is all right. That's like, they were 19 or 20 when they get married. That's like, yeah. that's intense, man, from the get-go. Mm. <laughs> so he starts wrestling full-time from a very young age. Early on, he's wrestling in like, you know, six-man tags with his brothers and stuff like that. So there is, I mean... It's actually funny talking about it. It feels like there's a lot of parallels with Brett's career. A lot of parallels, you know? yeah. Other than the fact that he's the youngest, it feels like, you know. Yeah, and I think as well the fact that, like, Brett didn't come for I don't want to say that Brett didn't come from a loving family, because I don't think that's fair, but he didn't come from a nurturing family, whereas mm. Eddie very much did. But he was talking about Eddie, like, the expectations from his dad when he was learning. Yeah, very similar. And it's just Very kind hard of, to please. Yeah, you know, you see, we saw this footage of, like, you know, young Eddie Guerrero, literally from a flat back position, kipping up and bumping on his back, like, just doing things that are like regardless of your background you go that is physically impressive yeah and him being like his dad just being like oh, he still doesn't get it nah. and that's kind of i know eddie guerrero one thing that did strike me from watching a lot of stuff over the years is that he struck me again as one of those wrestlers who's got that kind of anxious core in the center of him yeah did it come across that way to you all i don't know about anxious it's really hard to say because mm. it didn't seem to if he was anxious, it didn't seem to manifest itself in a way that was, like, obvious. Yeah. But he definitely has some kind of internal drive or perfectionism, some kind of, like, I'm not good enough yet that yeah. drove him constantly. Yeah, definitely. I think that, that there's a personality type like that in wrestling, and they tend to kind of pop up often. Like yeah. It's kind of, and I think there's always the question of, 
what is like healthy anxiety what what can motivate you and then what point does it kind of have a it's it's throttling you basically Mm. you know so he is wrestling in a company called cmll which was like kind of one of the original lucha libre companies he swapped over to work for triple a instead and triple a he refers to as being like an outlaw promotion and it's kind of strange understanding the politics of how this works but he was saying that AAA was a worse company because it was completely at the mercy of its top stars who kind of decided what was going to happen, the, the the dates they were going to run, the pay that was going to be given out, etc., etc. But unlike CMLL, because it was kind of outlaw and disorganized, you had more of a potential opportunity to climb the ranks there hmm. than you would have just, you know, starting off normally. And America wasn't an option for him because of his size. I was asked by you early on how tall I thought Eddie Guerrero was and I think I was on guess four before you put me out of my misery you're so bad at guessing heights though well I am an averagely no I'm a tall man and I think that may have affected my my averages how tall do you think I am <laughs> I know this it's so funny like literally like twice a month I'm like how tall do you think I am and I know it's always the, get it wrong he's the same height as Eric Bischoff am I correct in that no no I damn it I don't why, why do I think I don't know. <laughs> is that? Do you think that I'm tall or Eric Bischoff is small? I think that you are taller. You and Eric Bischoff are both similarly slightly taller than you might have thought. Five nine. Me? Yeah. No. Five six? Yes. Five six. I was close. It's upside down. No, you down. weren't. Upside you were not down. close. <laughs> Eddie Guerrero is my height. Really? He was five six, yeah. Wow. Like five six and a half, which is is my exact height. It was worth as well taking with a pinch of salt. Uh, anytime you look up a wrestler's height on the internet, because <laughs> I'm pretty sure I, I I've seen it several times left in reviews of this podcast that in like one of the very first episodes you casually asked me how tall Rey Mysterio was, and I was like, hang on, let me Google it. I was like, uh, five ten. Ah, no, he's not. Uh, you know. I think he's five foot two. And Joe Graham will be joined by wrestling idiot Kevin. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure Eddie Guerrero is actually was actually five six though because his build height was that he was five eight at, oh, like in, okay. in wrestling shows and they always exaggerate it. There's a plus or minus uh, plus two inches kind yeah, of exactly, margin of error yeah. there with that. Did he have the macho man vibe to you though, Val? Kind of the guy who because I mean, is it just that I'm bad at heights or did Eddie Guerrero employ any of that? Tiptoe, make yourself feel bigger than you actually are, kind of uh, wrestling magic. I think he definitely does do a little bit of that, but not in the same way mm. as Macho Man. Like, I think Macho Man made himself bigger by wearing a lot of big clothes and by having a larger personality than he actually had in real life and yeah. by standing on tiptoes and things. Whereas Eddie comes across as tall because he's just so charismatic that he just fills up a space. Yeah, definitely. I think as his career progressed, he kind of tapped into that more mm. of the personality making up for any kind of perceived shortcomings in size. Again, when we're in 2022, when we have wrestlers of the world who are, you know, getting five-star matches on a regular basis, who are roughly the height that we're talking about, mm-hmm. where he had to plot his career around wrestling in America, it does still seem absolutely ridiculous, it bears yeah, repeating. It does, yeah. <laughs> so around this time, he's working in Mexico, but he's also pursuing opportunities in Japan. And in Japan solely because the person who was meant to do the gimmick was not available, this guy called Fit Fiddly from Northern Ireland, Eddie Guerrero ends up becoming 
Black Tiger. So he has got the cool Black Tiger mask. It was huge business for him because obviously you have the like you have Tiger Mask in Japan is like this huge big brand, this huge persona that is passed down through several wrestlers. So he kind of was able to gain big notoriety for himself. He also met people like Chris Benoit, Dean Malenko there, and he got himself into this kind of crazy good shape. He said he ran like four miles a day through the desert without drinking water oh why would you not drink water who knows joe who knows look i'm impressed by the running but please drink water that's not you're not impressing anyone by not (laughs) de. oh i'm not gonna drink water and i'll just like dehydrate myself oh i'm so cool how you how you cut weight joe you you don't drink water apparently But this takes us to a match which was actually rated five stars as well by by old Dave Meltzer. This comes to us from the AAA ICW 1994 When Worlds Collide Extravaganza. And this is El Hijo del Santo, which means the son of the saint. El Santo being the most famous luchador of all time. And his partner, Octagon, taking on the tag team of Los Gringos Locos. Eddie Guerrero and Art Barr. And Joe... (laughs) Los Gringos Locos. Give me a give me a rundown on this tag team that Eddie Guerrero was running in AAA. They are American dudes. American dudes. They are anti-immigration. <laughs> and they wear tassily American pants. And they're they're bad guys. They 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 I think I I didn't quite understand what where they're supposed to be originally from if they are just like born and bred in america and they're anti-immigration or if the idea is that they are mexicans who have come to america and then become anti-immigration i hope it's that because that's very funny so our bar is he's american you know that's 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 where he's from right but i think he's from portland thereabouts but Eddie Guerrero, you know, he obviously was born in New Mexico. But yeah, but I don't mean them actually. I mean, is or is the kayfabe the yeah? The kayfabe of it was that they were proud American citizens, right? Who fucking love the U.S. of A. and absolutely hated Mexico, despite the fact that they wrestled there all the time. <laughs> and so, in kayfabe at this point, was Eddie Guerrero? He had no links to Mexico. Oh, he was he was billed as being from El Paso, Texas. Always. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. So yeah, and he had they Los Gringos Locos, which literally means like the crazy white lads you know <laughs> they're, they're wearing the american pants all the time and they would chant things like art bar was uh particularly you know those people who are just kind of designed to be like folks to rile up audiences mm. and he just would drop in things like he turned to the crowd and started chanting 187 you're like what's that about and you google and you find out that proposition 187 is affecting this local area in california it's this anti-immigration policy that's been put forward and that's a big part of Lucha Libre, actually, and something that probably we've not really talked about before, is using as part of the kind of the the, the, mora- the morality play or whatever of it, is using characters who are anti-immigration. I mean, if you look up Border Patrol gimmicks in, in Lucha Libre, there's countless, like, wow. you know, guys whose gimmick is they're going to take you across the border and, you know, get you out of here and all this stuff. Oh. And, you know, a lot of times those characters are portrayed by Mexicans. Yeah. And, you know, Eddie Guerrero, you American citizen, but, you know, Mexican heritage for sure. Mm. His name is often brought up as being a great luchador, but Eddie Guerrero, he only wore a mask in Japan, and when he was in Mexico, he was as anti-Mexican as you could guess. Yeah. I was shocked to kind of find that out. And so, was he... Was it not known that he was, like, a member of the Guerrero family? Because oh, yeah, I, it was. 
how does that work with the anti-immigration stuff when it's known that his family is from Mexico? I think it's it's because his family like made their their mark and their legacy in America. You know, right? Okay. So it's kind of like you know, almost there's a betrayal of of his of his his legacy in some respects because it's like you know, I'm proud to be American more than I'm proud to be a Guerrero. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's lots of stuff in this match where they have Eddie saying like Eddie was in a tag team with one of his opponents. But I think he was in a tag team with El Hijo del Santo and he, he got rid of the tag team because and turned on El Hijo del Santo because his father was in a tag team with El Santo and he thought that his father was weak because he got outshone by El Santo who was in all these movies and was this legend and his father was overshadowed and he wanted to be bigger than his father so he was turning his back on that. And I thought, like, you know, that's pretty damn cool. And I always wondered if maybe half the reason we didn't see clips of Eddie Guerrero in Mexico all the time and all these documentaries and stuff is because probably wasn't good for business having this lad tearing down the culture that he was pretty much a beacon for later yeah. on. Like I, I was shocked by it. Also as well, these guys are wrestling in 1994 and I I couldn't believe some of the stuff I saw in this match. This was a uh, modern wrestling to a T. So we have, we have chance from the audience at the start of Mexico and Eddie Guerrero incensed by this turns to the camera and screams, what are they doing? This is Los Angeles. <laughs> <laughs> I was a fan of the commentary on this one. They tried to explain what was going on in these confusing lucha rules. Yeah, they were good at explaining some of like the history and the context of the match and the feuds and stuff like that. And um, the only thing I would say is that the rules for this match were quite confusing, as lucha yes. libre rules often are for me. So there was a wager at stake in this one. We had masks versus hair, aka mullets versus masks, mm. because Art Bar and Eddie Guerrero are sporting some offensively big mullets. Yes. And it's two out of three falls, which I thought, okay, that, that makes sense. But two out of three falls works differently in lucha libre, it seems. Right. Because you have to pin both members of a tag team for it to count as a fall. Yeah, that I don't understand. So yeah, because we were within like a minute or two of this. No exaggeration. The the good guys had been pinned twice. And I thought, all right, these lads will be finishing up now any moment yeah. here. But there was some absolutely fabulous stuff here between these guys. Eddie Guerrero doing a Hurricane Rana off of Art Bar's shoulders. <laughs> that was absolutely beautiful. And we did see early on as well from Los Gringos Locos their superplex frog splash combo. Now, Eddie Guerrero's finisher is the frog splash, but did you know it was old Art Bar here who was the innovator of the frog splash? No, I didn't realise, but I can see why. Like, this is the best frog splash I've ever seen in my life. Really? Oh, yeah. What is it about Art Bar's frog splash? I mean, he really looks like a frog. He pulls his feet in and his arms right in. It's just amazing. It's just like, it's perfect. It's exact. It's like a cartoon, like... Frog Splash is just so good. So I tried to find out about this because I had heard many times that Art Bar was the inventor of the Frog Splash and he's the one who did it. And Art Bar passed away, like, I think he was 28 years old. Oh my God. Try, you know, suspected drug overdose. The la latter part of his career was mired in controversy. He was convicted of sexual assault. Right. You know, he, he was, yeah, he, he was pretty much not long for, for the wrestling world, it felt like. But he was, you know, I was always led to believe that Eddie did the frog splash in tribute to Art Bar, who invented it. But then I did some digging, and it turns out that Eddie did actually do the frog splash before Art. Oh. But he called it the jackknife splash, where he just did a little frog. Right. And then Art Bar was like, all oh, right, that's a fun looking move. What if we did it like this? And then he did the crazy extra, 
you know, wrists past the toes, froggy frogness to yeah. it. And then Eddie stole it back from him. <laughs> but Eddie originally apparently stole the jackknife splash from some other wrestler. Of course. So it's not a case that it was stolen, it's that it was modified and tweaked and stolen twice. Right, which okay. is as good Adapted. As in- yeah, it's as good as inventing something. Mm. And Two Cold Scorpio came up with the name Frog Splash because he saw Art do it and said, huh, the man looks like a frog doing a splash. <laughs> You should call that the frog splash. That man should have gone into advertising. <laughs> Brains like that. Brains like that. It's amazing. So Art Bar knows only one thing how to say in Spanish, which is he knows how to say shut up. And that's about it. <laughs> but we got lots of Eddie's kind of signature bad guy attitude here. You know, he felt very comfortable being a heel and not just a heel, like an absolute coward. He spends a lot of time on his knees. He's the only man I know who can run away on his knees. <laughs> You know, quite quite a cowardly sort here. Apparently Madonna's boyfriend was in the crowd. Did you find out about that? <laughs> I don't know why, but God, this is a this is kind of sad to mention it because there's another wrestler who died, you know, tragically young in his in his twenties. But Louis Spicoli, who was a wrestler who was in the corner of Los Gringos Locos, his wrestling name in Mexico was Madonna's boyfriend. What? So his gimmick was Madonna's boyfriend. And like Louis Spicoli <laughs> incredible wrestler but part of his his vibe was that he was a regular looking dude almost you know he was a bit more heavy set kind of great gimmick madonna's if that's it it's like can you believe madonna's boyfriend's here ladies and gentlemen that's so funny (laughs) someone should do that now i guess you can't now because it's like the internet exists it reminds me of that zach galifianakis joke where he's like i want to call my new stand-up album the new coldplay album so people (laughs) come in and ask for the new coldplay album and get my album instead but yeah madonna's boyfriend maybe there's another reason for that maybe Louis Spicoli was in there after Guy Ritchie who knows you know he could have dated Madonna yeah we have some uh, interesting karate and martial arts from Octagon who we were told no less than three times in this match is a big fan of the movies Joe he loves Chuck Norris which is really funny and I think someone in AEW current day should have a Chuck Norris gimmick where they love Chuck Norris and just tell Chuck Norris jokes. I mean, it, it feels like the time has come for this. Yeah. Come, come on full circle now. Exactly, you know? yeah. It's time to bring back Chuck Norris jokes. But there's something like very pure about 1994, this luchador just being told, this guy just can't get enough. He calls himself Octagon after the Chuck Norris movie Octagon. Amazing. Amazing. That's fantastic, you know? So we have one thing I, one thing I think I did like about the weird rules where they have to pin people twice was that you had these moments then where it was like, oh, you know, the good guys are, you know, they're down two falls or whatever. But then you had like Octagon pinning Eddie Guerrero and then like Art Bar runs in to get him and then he, he gets him in a submission straight away. So you get like back-to-back two pinfall, you know, two falls in a row. Yeah. Which is kind of because there has to be like, I don't know, six in total in the match. Yeah. That, that is kind of fun, you know. It did get no, the, it's confusing. It is confusing. But it's like, if you like reactions of crowds to pinfalls and don't really care why then this is the match for you because there's constant like crowds. Like, people are stood up for almost the whole thing as a result of it. Yeah. But I did not know what was happening for large portions no. of it, you know? I didn't I didn't like how confusing it was. I like to know what's going on. Yeah, and also it didn't help the fact matters that every time there was a fall, everyone's friends came into the ring. <laughs> so there's Blue Demon and Madonna's boyfriend and everyone's like waving and spinning towels around and the crowd were going absolutely nuts for it. <laughs> So we have an attempt at a 187 chanted by Art. And then Eddie turns to Art and says, let's do it, Art. Let's win this final fall for the United States of America. (laughs) 
it's amazing to see how comfortable Eddie is here with his character because yeah. I felt like we saw stuff after this where he felt like more reserved and less kind of, I don't know, comfortable in his own skin almost. Yeah, that could well be it, yeah. Eddie Guerrero goes off the top rope with an electric chair drop, which made me do a big old yikes. And then there was that um like that power bomb to the outside. He flipped him over the uh over the ropes, he went over the apron. Smashed his head on it. Yeah, it's it was horrible. Abs- like, yeah, there was some pretty sick bumps in this one. And there was, there were mats, but in typical wrestling fashion in the nineties, the mats only kind of went half a meter around the ring, and then it's just concrete. Yeah, I think like most of Eddie's head seemed to yeah, actually hit that hit concrete. concrete yeah. It was fucking rough. Not nice. I did love the angle they did with the tombstone pile driver being used, and you know, great after the Andy Kaufman episode where. Like, move over Andy Coffin. Octagon sold this pile driver like he was going to sue Jerry Lawler for $100 million afterwards. <laughs> they, they they took like a good 15 minutes with him. Like, yeah. he was taken out. He was put in a stretcher, then a gurney. Like, this is all through yeah. the final falls and of the match ambulance. and all that. Yeah, yeah, the ambulance there was incredible. We had another amazing frog splash, but El Santo, El Hio del Santo kicks out. He does the Santo dive, and then he his friend Blue Demon comes in and pile drives Art Bar. Santo gets the pin on Art Bar, and then we get him and Eddie down to the end. He manages to pin Eddie after the a roll up pin. <laughs> this is the point where there have been so many pins, you were like just straight up like complaining about like how the match was confusing for you. Mm. And there was a nice quote here from Joe that I wanted to sh- wanted to share is. They need to make wrestling more accessible for idiots like me and Vince McMahon and John Cena. Yeah. <laughs> and there is a grouping that I like to, to, to see in my wrestling. Well, that's why the WWE exists, but it's not very good. <laughs> so we do get the big dramatic fall, but I'd be lying if I said there wasn't a little bit of, you know, disconnect between me and the fans because this is the first multi-fall, two out of three falls match I had seen. Mm. We have to have Los Gringos Locos remove their hair in a, mm. in a touching scene, Joe. I love when people have to lose their hair and then they, they cry. And <laughs> this is great for that reason. They're cutting each other's hair and crying while they do it. Which is a very funny sight. It's great to see a tag team do it as opposed to like, you know, the, the guy be like, I'm going to cut his hair and the person be, no. Yeah, it's like they're like, doing it to each other. I'll do it for you. Yeah, and Art's like, I'll do you first, then you do me. Like if gonna anyone's be... going to cut my partner's hair, it's going to be me. Yeah, God, it's 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 it, it was quite touching to see these horrible races have their bullets <laughs> cut. And uh, I have to mention, because when, uh, <laughs> when Eddie cuts Art Barr's hair, his head is right in Eddie's crotch and looks very homoerotic. Yeah, he's, he's like, Eddie's, you know, he's squarely in there. Yeah, and Art Bar's crying, like sobbing into Eddie's crotch. I thought it was really funny because Eddie would do the same thing with China later on. Yeah. You know, he gets scared and he'd run and he'd nestle his head like yeah. in her crotch and be like, ah, they're coming to get me, Mama Caesar, or whatever <laughs> it is. So yeah, I, honestly, it, it got such a pop out of me seeing them. I like... My thought would have been the baddies be like, no, like flailing around. Oh, I'm not getting my hair cut. The fact that they were like honoring the stipulation and they were devastated. Yeah. They were absolutely miserable about it. Floods of tears Love for both it. of them. How did they do on the haircuts? Because I know we've seen some pretty, and we had Edge and Kurt. We had a pretty dodgy haircut there, but uh, <laughs> how'd, how'd they get on with it? I mean, I. <laughs> 
if they were supposed to be getting rid of the mullets, they didn't do a very good job of that. Because yeah, they, they went a... for the non-mullet thing. Yeah, it's like, come on, you're just making that into more of a mullet. It's That's... a monk mullet is what you're making there. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> but it is weird seeing Eddie without his mullet. Yeah, Eddie without his mullet felt kind of wrong, you know? And I like that kind of, he used the mullet for, like, he was definitely using for heel heel later on in his career. Yeah. You know, the, the amount of Eddie mullet signs that we see in the crowd from mm. this point onwards is is breathtaking. But I thought this match, in spite of it, like, like I feel like a lot of the stuff that I didn't enjoy about this match, that's not on the match, it's on me. Like, you know, I didn't, you know, I, this is probably one of the first, you know, two out of three falls Lucha Libre matches, tag matches I'd ever seen. So I didn't know really going in what to expect. And yeah. I definitely was confused because there were three times in the match where I was like, ah, I, I get it now. And then something happened where I was like, oh no, I don't, I don't get it actually, sorry. <laughs> and all I was, because the announcers sounded confident every time they explained it, I was like, gotcha, right. And then I swear stuff happened that ran counter to what the oh, announcers said. Right, yeah. I was I was twisted up in knots by it, but how did you get on with this uh, early look at Eddie Guerrero? I really liked the wrestling. The wrestling was really, really good. And it's like that style of wrestling that I really like, which was like a mixture of like, flippity do technical style fast bass like lots of moving around and mm. stuff but the pacing i don't know if it was bad or if it was just that because i didn't understand the rules that it felt bad to me but i did not get behind the flow of this match because it's it did literally stop yeah like, stopped and started know, several times many times yeah so I think if I was doing it on wrestling alone, I'd give it like a straight five out of five, but I can't because the pacing did not sing to me at all. I really found this confusing, so I'm giving it three. Okay, okay. So the conditional five, but the actual three is what it is. But I, 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 it speaks loudly to me that like, you know, when you said Dave Meltzer gave this five stars, that made a lot of sense to me. Me and Dave Meltzer are very opposite in terms of what we like. Yeah, you're in the cab with John Cena. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And Dave Meltzer, like, I think he likes matches more, like, the the more rules there are. Like, the more complicated yeah. and indecipherable a match is, the more he's like, <laughs> amazing. Another seven, eight stars for this match for all of the different rules. I mean, it was it was nice as well for, for me to... You know, I'd never seen Art Bar wrestle before. He's a name that I'd kind of heard a lot. But I'll be honest, like, you know, seeing him in wrestling was was impressive. And he was definitely ahead of his time. And he was someone who's written about a lot. And, like, you know, Jericho wrote about him. And other kind of wrestlers kind of said, oh, he's one of the kind of the, the great wrestlers that kind of was forgotten about. But, you know, also as well finding out more about Art Bar made me realize kind of probably the fact that I knew less about Art Bar was better in many respects. Mm. So kind of complicated feelings on that subject there, I think. But Eddie Guerrero had had a lot of momentum coming from, you know, this is one of those shows that, you know, it was during this time where both WCW and ECW were kind of paying attention to what was happening in Japan and in Mexico, because I think... I mean, you could, depending on whose version of events you believe, either Paul Heyman thought that was great business and Eric Bischoff just nicked the idea, or independently they arrived at these conclusions that they should harvest talent. Mm-hmm. But it's quite funny to think that, you know, both of those, you know, we're looking and seeing Eddie Guerrero, Chris Benoit, Dean Malenko, Chris Jericho, and these were guys all at once were kind of one fell swoop, all, all been brought in together. Mm. So Paul was to be credited, you know, in ECW being the first guy to bring in Eddie. But it was a short enough tenure. It was only there for a couple of months. He did say, you know, after the fact that it was the most fun he ever had in wrestling. 
Yeah. Because going in knowing that your audience is like, this is the audience and they like this flavor of ice cream. Mm. And you're like, well, I've got something completely different. And they all loved it. Yeah. Like, that's a pretty cool feeling. I don't know if that can happen in wrestling anymore. Like, are there audiences that are so set? Like, we're, we like this company, we like this style, and then that company would bring in someone and like, well, here's something completely different to that, and they blow your mind away. I don't know. I feel like those companies are kind of, for better or for worse, and in both cases it can be better and worse, they're stuck in their ways a bit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think we got a little bit of that about six or seven years ago in the WWE where everyone thought, right, we're going to get this sports entertainment style, and then they signed a lot of you know, very impressive technical wrestlers, yeah, like AJ yeah. Styles and things yeah, like that. Yeah, like a lot of a lot of those kind of names from Japan and the Indies yeah. came over. Yeah, and everyone was like, "What?" But them in the WWE, like, how will that work? And it worked really well. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I guess it it probably is more likely to happen in WWE because they're more likely to hoover up a bit of talent. And, and also, they have a very you know, I'm not saying it's a good thing, but they have a very distinct style you know they've got sports entertainment down now they, they do they got the money making side of it down anyway yeah. <laughs> so um like all good things in ecw in the 90s we soon find eddie guerrero in wcw in the 90s where he's brought in again much like in ecw he's brought in with a crop of other wrestlers like benoit like jericho like Dean malenko and these were guys who were kind of interviewed in, in the documentary and stuff uh, Dean malenko how did he come across to you had you seen much of him before yeah he's popped up here and there he's he's a homer he's a homer what does that mean he just looks like a homer simpson all <laughs> right saying a homer i was like he's a home run because if you if you have him in a match no you're going home no no he's just very like generic he's kind of like a oh. generic wrestling man he's the ice man joe you can't call him generic what's the ice man he's cold-hearted and uh ice icy demeanor he say Okay. I don't know if we'll ever do a Dean Malenko episode. I think it would be fun to do one eventually, but yeah. um, it may be a bit of an upward, upward struggle. It felt like every time he was on screen, you were like, there he is, there's that Dean Malenko. And I was like, why? What's wrong with Dean? Nothing's <laughs> wrong with him. He's just a bit boring. <laughs> He's a serious a serious customer. Yeah. Out. But, you know, this was something we talked about in the Bischoff episode. His, his secret sauce around this time, Bischoff, was being like, all right, I don't know fuck about you. But I know that you know something about the lad I also signed. So you two go out and figure it out. And I'll give you 10 minutes. Give me a nice wrestling match. And it could have been the furthest thing from his mind. But, you know, Eddie Guerrero, he wrestled Ric Flair early on in his career in WCW. Wow. You know, they did put him over as being like, you know, here's a, a legitimate, you know, here's a legitimate like wrestling star. And as the NWO kind of took over WCW, seeing guys who were like not older and were kind of younger guys being meant to be the WCW guys, Eddie found himself in that situation of being like, hey, he's a WCW guy. He's our guy, Eddie Guerrero. The fans weren't like necessarily, you know, buying loads of merch for Eddie and stuff like that because if you were in that position in WCW, it was more like you knew that you were there and you had a platform you could work, but you were never going to get pushed. Yeah. You know, he would have been sharing a car and sharing a motel room with like five other guys all the mm. time. He was on TV, but definitely on the lower end of that totem pole by far but Rey Mysterio was another name that he was linked with early on and those guys need to be credited again for introducing and not just like introducing like because you could show anyone Lucha Libre but like showing people a match that makes people go oh okay I like this not just because it's from another place or it's you know it's different or whatever but like his matches with Rey Mysterio and they put over things like the costumes, the masks, yeah. you know, not just there being flips. I think Eddie deserves the credit for being like one of the most kind of 
I don't know, like physical lucha libre stars of all time. Mm. Like he, he has weight to him when he moves. Yeah. You know, I don't think he's kind of got that feather touch like a lot of luchadors seem to have sometimes. Yeah, I know what you mean. So he is positioned in an unenviable position then. He then finds himself in a very unenviable position in WCW, which is going into <laughs> the first ever NWO themed pay-per-view. And forgive me, folks, I wanted to do a ladder match and it was between this and Rob Van Dam, but the Rob Van Dam one came at a point of his career when we had another good match. So it's Six versus Eddie Guerrero for the US Championship in a ladder match at the New World Order pay-per-view sold out 1997. Now I remember... I think it was about two years ago, I came up with the genius idea for an all-heel pay-per-view. Yes! And I you, think were like, I, yeah. you were like, I think that's happened, actually, and it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't very good. And this is it, and I'm really excited to uh, to see this. I think for pay-per-view classic, sometime we should cover this. I think NWO sold out for pay-per-view classic is an absolute 100% lock, because mm. I think your reaction to this match alone makes it worth a visit. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I always enjoy doing pay-per-view classic, but... I mean, I've read about this pay-per-view and, you know, Eric has a chapter about it in his book trying to explain his concept. And you know if Eric Bischoff is like, well, it was a bit of a grey area in my, uh, in my creative portfolio and I didn't quite execute that to the full actionability that I would have liked. So I was very intrigued to see this. Mm-hmm. Um, how is Eddie Guerrero presented in this NWO-themed pay-per-view, Joe? It sounds like I'm making this up. It's really, really funny. So... Eddie comes out first and he doesn't come out to music. Instead, as he walks to the ring, uh, a voiceover who sounds exactly like Martin Sheen (laughs) calls him a Mexican jumping bean. Classic WCW racism there. And then calls him a loser. Yeah, and it's not even like, and he's a loser. It's like Mexican jumping bean. Eddie Guerrero. And, and then, then Eddie's like, wait, what's what, what's that? He looks in the camera and he's like, I'm going to show you what WCW is all about. Yeah. Great fire. And then the voiceover's just like, loser. You know Bischoff's got to put loser, loser, loser. <laughs> Backstage Nash is there. What if you had like a button and it's you pressed it and it said like, uh, loser, you know, and he pressed it. Genius, genius, <laughs> Kevin Nash. I love that idea. Look, look, Kev, we couldn't give you the vanilla midget button, but we did give you the loser button that you could go with here. <laughs> uh, set design for NWO sold out. I mean, you can tell that Bischoff comes from a background in like marketing and advertising and stuff because... I was going to say, you could tell he used to sell meat out of the back of his car. <laughs> yeah, it's well-branded meat. Yeah, the show has great branding. It's all NWO themed. It's it's got it's just really consistent. They've there's, got there's a lot of stuff being thrown at the wall here, and some of it does stick. Oh, I think it all sticks. I love all of this, and the the ring is kind of surrounded by signs and and pictures and things uh, that say six on. So it's all weighted very much in six advantage because he's part of the nwo yeah like because when he comes out he gets the theme he gets the music there's yeah. fucking fireworks there's a hundred monitors there are floodlights that yeah. spell out his name and i think that's one of the coolest things ever so and it's cool. there the whole time and you get these shots of eddie just been there like fuck like what am i what have i got myself into here you know mm. and i i kind of 
I found out from a shoot I watched with Eddie that he had massive anxiety with this match. Really? Because it was the biggest ladder match that, you know, you know, the WCW, I think it might have even been the first ladder match that WCW had done at that point. Wow. And there was just this kind of assumption that you're in there with Six, who's also uh, the 123 Kid or x Sean Waltman. He's appeared a few times on this show. So the kind of the, the idea was like, well, Six is like the office's favorite. He's one of the, you know, one of the clique, basically. Mm. You know, the NWO lads. They know he's great. You're the kind of the guy who's something to prove. And he thought that he was going to let him down and he was nervous about it because he thought that no one was going to react for the mm. match. So there is actually an anxiety here in this match. But benefit of it is because of this crazy NWO theme where it's basically like, you know, Six has got all these buffs. Eddie being a bit nervous and out of sorts almost works to the match's favour, I oh, thought. Oh, yeah, definitely. Because it's like he's wrestling, like, it's very rare you can see someone wrestling in, like, you know, heel territory. Yeah. Other than if the, the country is a heel, like Canada, allegedly, or something <laughs> like that, you know? So, yeah, he, the fisheye lenses that they have on sticks. So cool. Really, really great cool. camera angles. It just, like, adds a dynamic nature to it. It's loads of middle-aged women on motorbikes just hanging around yeah. in leather. Like, Bischoff is calling the match. Sat- I love it. He's on yeah. the desk. He's sat on the desk. The commentary team sitting on the desk. Big amplifier under his arm. Leather like. jacket on. Him and Teddy Biasi. Fucking hell. And it's some low... Divorced dad energy. <laughs> Yeah, I'm doing really well since my divorce. I've used all the money that I was going to spend on child support on a, on a wrestling pay-per-view, actually. This is my man cave. <laughs> Eric Bischoff is all over the Hollywood karate fakeness, Joe. That's what he wants to talk about here. Not Eddie Guerrero and his impressive maneuvers and backflips that we're seeing. He hates these phonies like Steven Seagal. Yeah, I don't know why he started talking about that. It's because Six is real karate. Is he karate? He said that as he was like literally going, woo, doing do the little like, Cobra Kai gimmick and all that. So it, was, it, was, it was cute. Yeah. Um, Not many ladders in this ladder match to start no, us off. No, we're halfway through and I suddenly realised like, oh yeah, this is a ladder match and there's not been any ladders. Yeah, the, I think the idea is that Eddie is actually the champion, but the NWO have just stolen his belt and held it kind of hostage from him. Right. And also another cool NWO little bit of an addition. The belt is hung on a meat hook, Joe. Oh, is it? Cool. That's dangerous. <laughs> Isn't it? Oh, you jump for that belt to grab it and you slice your hand open. Pierce your hand on a meat hook. Yeah. No, thank you. Don't send that hook, please. Thank you very much. We do get a ladder eventually, which Eddie takes out and... 1997 is obviously before the stunt ladder has been invented because he wallops six with it and Jesus, Mary and Joseph, that was not fun looking at all. No, a lot of nasty ladder spots in this match. Yeah, for like a 97 ladder match, you know, this is early days. They were pretty innovative here. Oh yeah. There was that bit where six like stomped him through mm-hmm. the ladder. That made me, and we just seen Jackass Forever and I was <laughs> wincing like, you know, yeah. that was something else. We have possibly the loudest ladder ever, to the point where I thought the fisheye lens cameras that were picking up some of the action, I thought they were microphones that they were putting up right against the ladder, because every time they hit into it, it sounded like a gunshot was going off in a Mm. very, very loud corridor. Very mic'd up ladders. Oh, there's a part where Eddie... I don't know if you know something about him. When he gets like flipped, like a back flip, you know, or a big back body drop or whatever, when he gets kind of launched into the air, he goes a good foot or two higher yeah and it comes so close sometimes he takes this big crazy high spot and his like ankles will clip the ropes because he's gone so far so far away yeah and he took a flapjack onto a ladder and he went 
right onto his knees. La, 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 la. I was like this. I couldn't understand it. Honestly, I understand the physics of a lot of the wrestlers that we see sometimes. But Eddie Guerrero, for someone his size who can throw people much bigger than him and be thrown by people much smaller than him, mm. is one of the. I cannot explain it. You know, it's all like Rob Van Dam gets a lot of props for being this guy who's like almost spring loaded. Mm. But it's almost so noticeable in Rob. But Eddie, it's just like, you step, step out, you think, like, wow, he's moving in a way that is almost impossible, it feels like, sometimes. <laughs> I remember reading an interview with China once where she talked about how Eddie Guerrero taught her how to do a press slam. And apparently the first time she did it to Eddie, because he was so, you know, bouncy... <laughs> She out. she did it to him. It, they're in the ring together. She did a press slam to him and he literally bounced over the top rope out of the ring. I want to see that. I know. Amazing. Oh my God. She was like really scared afterwards that she'd like killed him. And he was like, oh no, I'm just, just bouncing. Fucking hell. <laughs> now this is coming up next here is like, you know, I, I've gained a newfound appreciation of WCW unquestionably from, from this podcast in particular, from, from doing it. I feel like, and particularly on Pay-Per-View Classic over on the Patreon, I feel like we've seen stuff that has made me like challenge a lot of the WWE centric views that I've been been kind of spoon fed throughout my teen and young adult years. But man, if this wasn't the WCW Bollocks Express here, where you have Eddie doing a drop kick to the ladder where he nearly gets splatted by the ladder. It was so scary. This is it's such a stupid move. <laughs> where like he drop kicks the ladder in it's leaning against the turnbuckle. Yeah. And it's obviously leaning against the turnbuckle, so it's like it's gonna bounce back and it does, and it nearly lands on him. Nearly fucking spats himself. <laughs> but Horrible. Like, if you're a wrestling commentator, heal her face, you know, you've gotta try and save the guy a little bit. Mm. And like not long after that, Eddie Guerrero climbs up, he gets to the top of the ladder. And you and I had been like looking at that bell going, hmm, you think you would point out, you going, that's, you know, it's really high up. Really high up. And they only have one ladder and the ladder is quite short. Yeah, these aren't the big WWE ladders. This no. is a proper Home Depot looking thing. Mm -hmm. And he gets to the top of the ladder and he reaches up and Eric Bischoff just with the fucking, you can tell, the shit-eating grin. <laughs> oh, Eddie Guerrero seems like he's not tall enough to, to, to become the champion. Seems like he's just too short. He's uh, shorter than me, by the way. I'm five foot eight. I'm two inches taller. So Eric Bischoff is two inches taller than you. That's what I need to... to no, actually, I just made that number up. I think, <laughs> I think he's somewhere between like five eight and five ten. I think. I just want to know, Joe, that if I'm going to hug Eric Bischoff, how dissimilar is it to when I hug you? Very dissimilar because you know, he doesn't have boobs. Am I expecting shoulder to chest action here? Or am I going to have to go down to one knee and hug him like I'm a long lost uncle? Like, you know, what's I, going on here? I reckon he's too tall for you to rest your chin on his head. Oh, damn. That's, that's... But you could do that to Eddie Guerrero. Okay. It's good to know. It's good to know that. <laughs> so Eddie Guerrero, he's up on top of the ladder being told by the world that he is too short. Great mm -hmm. things for a, a man who's clearly struggling with anxiety to hear. And then he goes sailing off the top of the ladder. I think him and Six have a little bit of a miscommunication. The punches are thrown, but I think just as that last one is going, Eddie's already sailing through the air. It's a, it was a drop kick, wasn't it? Yeah, it yeah, was a drop a, kick. A kind of a, yeah, he does like a karate kick type yeah, of thing. Yeah, off, off the top of the ladder to Eddie. But Eddie's already started falling, so it misses his head and it looks shit and looks really painful. Yeah, I mean, you gotta fucking... I mean, it's, it's sad for them because it's like... 
you've got not got much of a blueprint to work off of here. The only other really ladder match to note to speak of is like Razor Ramon and Shawn Michaels and, and their rematch. And they invoke that match several times. They're like Scott Hall, he's he's been telling Six out of the best ladder match ever. But you can definitely feel like these guys are like they're reaching for the stars, but it is just coming up a teensy bit short. And I think there are moments in the match where it's miscommunications. I know like ladder matches are chaotic, but I think yeah. it went beyond kind of kayfabe ladder chaos, mm. you know. And at the end, Eddie looked fucking battered, yeah. absolutely battered. But they're up on top. Both guys have hold of the belt, and before we can kind of figure out what's going to happen with this situation, with both guys have grabbed it. Eddie clocks six with the belt, captures the championship, and in a really cool moment, because it's meant to be the hostile NWO crowd, he runs out into the audience with the belt, and he celebrates with Aaron Anderson. <laughs> <laughs> the most WCW celebration of all. So, like, there were a lot of different things at play here. Eddie's performance, the unique setting of it, the kind of, I guess, the shortcomings of this match that was kind of almost the wrestling equivalent of eyes bigger than its stomach in 1997. They were kind of too far ahead of their time almost but i found myself enjoying this one how did you get on with uh the nwo sold out ladder match i loved this i loved this <laughs> so much it was so fun like the wrestling was amazing i love a good ladder match but like i was excited for this anyway because of who was in it yeah. like i can't think of two people i'd more like to see in a ladder match than eddie guerrero and sean waltman and sean waltman's definitely one of those guys now who He's appeared on other people's episodes so much. It yeah. feels like a bit of a picture is forming of him that's going to make an episode of him extra interesting. Yeah, definitely. And I love the little, you know, the little thematic parts of this pay-per-view. Like mm. the fact that the ref would only help Six get up after like a, like a near fall and stuff. Yeah, he wouldn't check on Eddie. Like Eddie would take this horrible spill and he, he'd just kind of glance at him. Yeah. Like, you all right, Six? You okay? You need you anything? Check, Come on, I'll help you get back up again like so so we can get this guy into a pinfall. And, and also the, the evil referee for the NWO, Nick Patrick, he's like really sweaty and tired because the NWO only have one referee so he's had to ref all the matches. <laughs> It was amazing. I really loved this match. I gave it four out of five stars. It was really fun. Nice. And I think even just visually, you know, the black and white themed mat with all the greys and all yeah, that. It was, was something really else. Yeah, cool. And the fact that like Eddie Guerrero was wearing kind of like a generic red and white singlet. Yeah. And so he stands very much out of place to the rest of the show. He seems like a traditional wrestler. Yeah. You know, and NWO seems like this kind of renegade. Like, and that was what was cool. You know, Eddie always viewed himself as being more naturally a heel. He kind of fit into that a lot more. But there's a lot to be said about him as this kind of like underdog almost. Yeah. This kind of like kind of calm and quiet exit wrestler who's just kind of he reminded me a lot of Brett in this match, I guess. Yeah. You know, he had that energy about him. So things are going okay for Eddie in WCW, broadly speaking. He manages to get a job for his nephew Chavo, who's brought into the company. And it's funny, if you're in the interview that I watched, he said the only reason that he got the job was that his tryout match was with then uh, Stephen Regal, aka oh, William Regal, wow. and he like kind of went out of his way to do him a favor to make Chavo look like as amazing as possible, you know. Yes. So he was having frustrations, you know. The frustrations were were mainly that, you know, lack of opportunity. There was, you know, you're in the middle of this wrestling boom, 1998, 1999. People are making more money than ever before, but the people who are making more money than ever before in WCW are a lot of the people who are made more money than ever before in the 80s. Mm. So it's kind of frustrating for him and. There was this kind of story that went around that Bischoff threw hot coffee on him backstage once. And like he even used it in a promo. And it was one of those things I was like, 
Jesus, was it that bad? I bet that didn't happen the way everyone says it happened. Literally. I bet he fucking spilled coffee on him by mistake. Yeah, he was grabbing papers and some coffee Whoops. spilled oh, on shit. him. Oh, shit, sorry. Then, I'll use a promo on yeah. that. But he still very much like knew that you know, it, it wasn't long-term, you know, he, he wasn't going to kind of get anywhere with the company. And a big issue with this is that, you know, the tragic passing of Art Barr at 28 years old, and this shoot interview I watched with Eddie, it was during his period where he was away from either company, WCW or WWE, it would have been around 2001 or two or thereabouts. And he said, like, Art Barr dying in the 90s, that made him extremely passionate about making as much money as possible. Not being successful, not having a career that fulfilled all of his artistic desires or whatever it is, as much money as possible, as quickly as possible. His mind was, well, what happens if, if I'm, I'm gone? Like, you know, what happens if what happens to Art Bar happens to me? It was, it was less about, oh, so he could retire young, but more about this genuine fear that he had that he could die young like Art Bar did. But like, you know, if he did die young, what, what use is money? So his family could be looked after, right, I guess. I see. You know, that there's something to be left behind. Yeah. But, you know, this is kind of a, a worrying thing to hear where at the same time, you know, he's he's kind of getting a bit bored in his in his career or that it's not going the way he wants to. So, you know, in, in the WWE documentary, he kind of implies that the career stagnation leads to him having a few drinks and then a few pills and, and so on and so forth. I don't know how direct that is because I kind of feel like you know, when they did it in the dark side of the ring and Jericho and stuff were talking about it, it kind of felt like almost all of them were, were doing a bit of that anyway at the yeah. time. And it was less like, oh, it's because of my career. And there is a lot of, I don't want to say like excuses, but there's a lot of explanations as to why these things happen in the order that they did. Mm. But the reality was, was that in 1998, Eddie Guerrero was already in quite a bad way. Mm. And he was on the verge of getting one of the biggest pushes of his career, which was the LWO. They are going to have a Latino world order. <laughs> and it only lasted for like a week or two. And Eddie came out, he had the LWO t-shirt. Instead of in black and white, it was red, white and green. With the Mexican that flag fucking colors. company has one idea. And they just do that one idea over and over again. But you know what, Joe? I was fucking shocked when I saw some of the tweets. The amount of people, particularly folks in America, who were like... Where can I get me a fucking LWO t-shirt? Like that <laughs> that shit resonated with people, wow. you know? It was a Latino pride, you know? And he did these promos where he come out and it's like guys like El Dandy and Juventu Guerrera. And it's like, we're the biggest stars in Mexico. And we're all like sharing six of us to a bedroom. We make a couple of hundred dollars. They have us fighting each other. They never let us team up together because they know if we're busy fighting each other on the undercard, we won't be able to, to rise up and take over. And they were kind of implying we're going to, you know, stick it to the NWO and all that. Uh, Eddie didn't actually view it as a push. He said it was a bone, not a push. A bone? A bone. What does that mean? It's something like, you know, keep a dog happy. Oh, I see. Keep, keep you busy, you right. know. It's not actually going to go. It's not actually sustenance. It's not actually food, but you'll shut up for a little bit. Right, yeah. But it is, you know, end of 98, this is happening. Start in 1999, you know, it's New Year's Day. He is in a bad way after his new year's party and this is the bit which gets kind of strange to me in this documentary with wb it's like so i popped in the car and i thought i'd go and i'd drive out and get some eggs he also reveals though he's taken ghb what's your understanding of ghb all i know is it's like one of those really really it's like one of the scariest drugs you can take um i think william regal you mentioned took it yeah and it's one of those ones that like it affects you differently depending on like a multitude of factors how much you take your your 
body kind of makeup yeah, or whatever your it is. mood your own mental disposition i mean yeah and, you the know. environment like all sorts of shit and it it can be like a party drug or it could be like a massive sedative or it can be a psychedelic it, like it can basically do any number of things to your brain and body and you don't know what it will do until it happens the scariest thing is that it can make you black out right and but make you black out not in the sense that you pass out black out in the sense that you will lose a couple of days yeah and you will wake up and be like wait what and you know it's no surprise that both eddie guerrero and william regal the two people who spoke most openly about using GHB, mm. and I'm sure lots of other wrestlers did it because you could buy it in a drugstore back in the what? 90s. Oh, yeah. That's so scary. Yeah, you, you can pop down to the shop, you get in a pharmacy, no problem. What was problem. that supposed to be Two treat- liters of it. What was it supposed to treat? Sleeplessness. What? One cap full for sleeplessness is what, what you meant to take. But here's the thing, like, you know, Regal would say, you know, he talked about it in excruciating detail. You take maybe a cap full or two, you might fall asleep, or it could be that you fall asleep for an hour, then you wake up and you are higher than you've ever been in your life. You might think you're asleep, but you're actually awake and you're just tripping, hallucinating, crazy. Or the scary thing, as I said, you black out. And both Eddie and Regal have stories of blacking out and waking up in a jail cell going, mm. how did I end up in here? Yeah. You know, you're starting on a plane, ending up somewhere else, not your intended destination. Well, and that, that is scary fucking stuff. In the documentary, I think it's very brave the way Eddie talks about his substance abuse problems. He's very honest with himself. Which is that he says that, you know, he was taking them for sleep, in inverted commas, and that that was how he justified taking it for himself. But he knows that, you know, he knew at the time that wasn't really what he was doing. He was doing it because he wanted to party. Yeah. But he took three capfuls when you're supposed to take one. You cut to him going out to get some eggs, and now it's 130 miles an hour. Car flips. He goes through the windshield. Jesus. The cops, when they arrive on the scene don't even go over to him because they think that he's dead. Wow. They assume that he's... He, there's no way he could have survived. Yeah. He wakes up from the operation because he's... You know, <laughs> because his body's so messed up and all these different painkillers and all the medications. So you know, the anesthetist doesn't know how to, to, to gas him properly. He wakes up in the middle of the operation because he's got, you know, bust lungs, bust oh, ribs. He starts fighting the people, the surgeons. You oh, know, like, ah. no. like an actual living nightmare. For them as well. Can you yeah, imagine God how scary that would be? Big wrestler fucking yeah. waking up in the middle of an operation? A oh big, my God. A big steroid using wrestler who's like fucking buff as shit. And he's told at this point in time, you will probably never wrestle again. They told him he'd never walk again. They said, you will. That, you know, there's no chance you will wrestle again. But also, you won't walk like you that you're gonna have to learn the basics of being a human all over from scratch and this isn't the type of situation as well where you know i think the difference in wcw and wwe is that wcw you know maybe less so at that, at that point but had at that, at that point at least established a trend of if wrestlers get severely injured or whatever it is they'll very often will just kind of cut them or you know you know you've been injured longer than your contract allows you to so kind of off you go and i think they had such a big roster that they were never hung up on one individual person being there. And Eddie Guerrero was by no means an essential part of the roster, even though he's one of the best wrestlers that they had. And even still with all that, in his dark headspace that he's in, he comes back in six months. Mm. Yeah, he was supposed to take a year and a half to recover. And this is like, you go from never wrestling again, never walking again, maybe you can come back in 18 months. He is wrestling in six months. And that's just not, it's not sensible. It's very impressive. But it's really stupid. Like, you shouldn't... 
and I think this is again like it's an issue with the industry and an issue with those times which is that like and and also the people in the industry because like that's exactly the sort of shit that Vince McMahon did is that he would come back way too soon and some people can get away with it and other people it's sometimes just pushing yourself too much too fast there's one thing it's like John Cena you know hurt himself training or he got injured in a match and he came back quick it's like you fucking blacked out from yeah. doing horrifying drugs you in a car crash yeah reached a really low point in terms of substance abuse issues I mean it, it just kind of and it's not a case of like John Cena busting his elbow and being told right you can't wrestle for a year this is a guy who's being told literally can't walk yeah ever. that that is is beyond shocking to me and also as well you know if you think back to Eddie's kind of body shape you know, the the Halloween Havoc match and him versus Ray he's fucking he's a tank he's got yeah, the he's big, big them big veins on his arms he's huge that's only like six or seven months after you know the match had sold out with six where he's wearing a singlet and he's a lot slimmer he's still bigger than he was I think when we would have saw him in AAA. But Eddie's body throughout his time in WCW, you get bigger and bigger. And then, like, when he comes back in 1999, after this layoff, he's back in June, he just looks tired. Mm. Like, he's kind of, you know, he's lost weight, but he almost has, like, a hump on him. Like, he's kind of, he's tacked on this huge muscle mass, this big chunk of muscle on top of Mm -hmm. his body. And it just doesn't seem like any wrestling company ever kind of realized that Eddie Guerrero was was at a weight that was never really healthy for him for the majority of his wrestling career, mm. it felt like. It's kind of hard to watch at points. And maybe it would have been okay if, you know, if he'd gained that weight slower and in a more healthy way. It's really hard to say because, like, the circumstances under which he gained all that mass were after, you know, it was his, when his body was really recovering and healing from, like, a potentially life-ending injury. And, you know, you asked me, a good few times, particularly when we were looking at some of his later WWE stuff, you were like, did Eddie Guerrero like do steroids? And I, my kind of answer was like, well, you know, that was the culture at the time. I would assume he did just because most wrestlers in the 90s did. And that's kind of, you know, I don't think that's an exaggeration. But it was in 2007 or 8 when there was that big signature, signature pharmacy scandal where they, I think we talked about in the Regal episode, he was one of the many wrestlers whose names were leaked in this kind of expose of these these online pharmacies that were giving people prescriptions for things like growth hormones, steroids, etc. when they didn't actually have a, a medical reason for it. Eddie's name was on that list. Right. So, you know, you can assume that even after Eddie got clean and sober that there was still a performance-enhancing drug being used there, but mm. that's not considered by the industry to be a, you know, it's you're not doping if you take that. You're not a... Uh, you're not taking recreational drugs. That was kind of, I don't say a blind eye was turned to it, but like he did it his entire mm. time there. It's obviously a very different culture in wrestling in both companies yeah. during that time period. But it's just worth knowing that, you know, even as he went through these struggles, you know, there was steroid use that was going on before and after the struggles and mm. probably during them as well. You're back after six months after that car wreck. The pain has got to be unimaginable. Mm-hmm. His, you could see it in his eyes. Yeah. He looks like, you know, the colours drained out of him. He's just weary. And mm-hmm. how do you deal with that pain? More painkillers. And... That's the trouble as well, know. isn't it? Because, like, he was going through all these substance abuse issues and then he goes through potentially, like, the hardest part of his life. But he hasn't been given the tools to deal with those core issues, those substance abuse issues that got him into that position in the first place. So the and, root of the problem is still there. And, I mean, and now he's in pain. 
you know, we, we joked about before the WCW, you know, the drug policy, which was, if you don't want me to fail drug tests, don't test me, Eric. Yeah. And he was back, you know, six months after that. I think it was a couple of months after his debut, three or four months after that, he has his first overdose. Right. Or at least one that is, that's talked about. And this is pain pills. This is painkillers. Yeah. No, assuming alcohol is involved as well, no pulse, lungs collapsed. Oh, so, you know, that's, that's, you know, it was, it was shocking to hear about these details and very difficult to go through it because this was a portion of, no matter where we saw it, be it posthumously or before his passing, hearing people talk about Eddie having these struggles where he kind of was in these situations very similar to how he actually died later on. Yeah, there's a quote from, I think it's Dean Malenko yeah. saying, you know, a bit later on, he got involved and, and spoke to the WWE about Eddie's problem. And he said, I didn't want to find him dead in a hotel room someday. You know, that's, that's, that's tragic because, you know, this happens to him. He is, you know, unresponsive. You can imagine like, that's the thing as well. Like, you never kind of think about like, you know, as a wrestler fan, you just kind of think about the wrestler, but you think about, you know, he's got a family, he's got daughters, mm-hmm. you know, young daughters as yeah. well. And, you know, they're a super close family. I think their dad's a superhero. And, mm-hmm. you know, he's found like that. Two months later, he ODs again. And that and time he does it at his mum's house. On Christmas. On Christmas. You know? No breathing again. You know? And you, like, I, we're watching Euphoria at the moment. And kind of ODs are kind of almost been kind of recontextualized for me. And that, like, I know it affects the family and all that, but I hadn't kind of actually just thought about it solely from a family's perspective when someone ODs and, mm. you know, the person who finds them and the guilt they must feel and the complex feelings and the difficulty in addressing the issue with the person. You know, Eddie is known to have a, a bit of a temper, you know, in mm. kayfabe, but in real life as well. It's it's difficult to talk to him about this stuff. Mm. You know, Vicky says that you would look, she would look in his eyes and there was no peace there during this time. And yeah. it's like, you know, it's difficult because, you know, they're a super religious family. Mm. And like hearing his mom being like, oh, from the grace of God, he came back from his car accident. And it's like, well, let's leave the grace of God to one side for a second because less than six months after that, he's he's OD'd twice. Yeah. So I don't think this is by the grace of God right now. I think he needs actual help. Mm. But there's not real time for help at WCW because ah, that's a sinking ship and, you know, Vince Russo and Ed Ferrer are coming in and all of a sudden Eddie Guerrero's main priority is not getting himself right it's getting into the wwe and getting his career back on track because they need to find a new place to lay their hats they think it's wwf you've got eddie guerrero dean malenko chris benoit and perry saturn all come over in the year 2000 and they all sign at once which is kind of unprecedented it was one of the only times that wwe like made direct mention of wcw's competition during that time period hmm. they had like mick foley be like hey look these guys here guess they're not old enough for wcw yet there they are <laughs> you know these great young competitors they didn't talk about it in the documentary this is my first exposure to eddie guerrero eddie guerrero was brought in as one of these guys from a company that i didn't really know about and he does his cool frog splash and he dislocates his elbow immediately that's the first thing that happened to eddie oh and it's a bad dislocation like he was out for a good few months massive arm brace so the guy's brought into the company the idea is that he's meant to be this kick-ass wrestler and immediately he's hurt i think the body has ways of catching up to you if you deny it healing and recovery it will find a way to get that but that's it right you know it's you know there's kind of at this point, it feels like he's got like three years worth of recovery that he needs yeah. that has been somehow squeezed out of, mm-hmm. you know, the last year thereabouts. Yeah. 1999 to 2000 is a much 
harder year for Eddie Guerrero than people probably realize because people are like, ah, he went to WWE, great for him. Yeah. But I think the struggles he had, like Malenko was saying that him and Benoit and Perry went to Jim Ross at one point and they were like, we're worried about Eddie. We don't think that he's in a good way and we don't think that he's actually going to be able to perform. Keep in mind, Perry Saren admitted in an interview a few years ago, he wasn't sober once during his entire time in WWE. He was on something or other the entire time. But that's just, again, you know, it's like we've mentioned this before in the podcast, which is that drugs and alcohol affects people differently. And I think that's part of the reason why situations like this can happen with people like Eddie Guerrero, because the partying lifestyle catches up to some people and not others. And I think mm. when you're hanging out with people who have a very high tolerance, yeah, it can make you go, well, you know, they're fine. I must be fine as well. You always have this mistake that gets made when you're looking at stuff in wrestling, you know, these types of stories, which you assume that because someone is an addict, ergo, they also have this insane tolerance. Yeah. And if you're an addict, therefore you have to be a functioning addict. Yeah, that's not necessarily true. There's, there's no, it's, it's, it's very different for different people. Yeah, it's varying degrees of that. Mm. The fact that all this is going on while Eddie is involved in, genuinely in my opinion, one of the most entertaining angles of all time, one which... I went back in the last few years and revisited almost all of with Adam Bibolo for Smackdown Crawl and the Edge podcast. Him and China was just a pairing that I was so happy to show you. Tell me a little bit about what you thought about Eddie and his Mama Sita. So he becomes obsessed with China, and at first she's like, ugh, whatever. And then eventually he charms her with his charming ways. He's like Pepe Le Pew is how Billy described him once. I don't know what that is. He's one of the Looney Tunes where he was like very romantic. But just oh, like, is that the skunk? Yeah, just really off-putting. It's like, <laughs> all right, stop it, Mike. And he's like, but please, I love you so much. You yeah, know? he's kind of like very intense. And uh, actually, yeah, you could you could say it's love bombing you know, if you're using modern terminology. What, sorry, love bombing? You not heard of love bombing? I have not heard of love bombing. I've it's, not been accused uh... of love bombing or heard of love bombing. <laughs> Love bombing is um, when you get into a relationship with someone at first and they like, they they just like pile love on you and they like compliment everything you do and they're like obsessed with you and they make you feel like the most special person in the world. But the idea is that love bombing is very inconsistent and can be denied at any point. Oh, So that you run quite hot and cold. I see. And so I'm more of, of like a love napalm, you would say then, kind of like clockwork every morning, that type of a thing, you know? No, because napalm is like a once and Oh done. yeah, that's true. It's, it's also it, quite nasty it's a burn horrible. For a long, it's kind of like, my, my, it's more like a love chemical warfare in that it, a, it's there forever. A love compost, maybe. <laughs> Thank nurturing you. Thank love. you, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, he's he's doing this thing with China, and the idea is is that she's his mamacita. So he worships the ground she walks on. He thinks she's the most beautiful, gorgeous, incredible person ever. But then he's got this Latino intensity where you know he gets very passionate about things, and as such, he can get randomly quite angry. And then I know in the China episode we covered a bit about her going to Playboy, and then him getting very possessive and jealous and showing up and like. Yeah, we we watched a whole bunch of these segments, and what was so interesting about it is that one, they were meant to be a heel group. The idea that they would be this kind of like Bonnie and Clyde's, like I think Vince McMahon has done this several times. The idea of him like a strong, muscular woman being with this little kind of weasel. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then there's meant to be heat for that for the you know for both the woman and the guy that they would be in this relationship yeah. that's viewed as like kind of weird and weird. incompatible. Wrong. But it's just that it was so 
popular. Like yeah. I remember, like not like I never not thinking anything about Eddie Guerrero at all because, if, as far as I was concerned, he was the lad in the sling. Like that was all I knew him as. He wore a jazzy shirt sometimes. Mm. And then when this stuff with China happened, oh my God. I mean, my character in No Mercy came out with the roses, like Eddie Guerrero. <laughs> I thought the roses that he would have for her, where he would hide the metal bat in it to hit people with, I thought that was the funniest, most beautiful <laughs> thing in the world. China would smell them and throw the roses all over the place. But like he says in, um, in the documentary, it was like the first time he actually viewed himself as being like, having comedy chops or being yeah. a performer. He said he never thought of himself as being able to be funny or entertaining, which is so mad because when you see him as a little boy, as like a two-year-old, he's got so much star power. He's got so much charisma. He's such a charming, funny little guy. I think it's like I would see him in WCW and I'd be like, oh, you know, he's, he's talking confidently there. You know, some of his stuff with Chavo, he did, you know, promos and stuff like that. So I just assumed, oh, well, he was always this entertaining guy. But it's only later you realise, well, those are the opportunities he had to talk. This was the only time where they're like, let's make this funny. Let's mm. make this, like, really, really just, like, a, a comedy portion of the show. And we watched them getting ready for prom together, mm-hmm. where Eddie dresses up in a variety of the most hideous, like, comedy hideous clothes. And then China wears, like, kayfabe, meant to be really pretty clothes, but because of the year 2000s, they yeah. retrospectively look so like it was a cool pairing because like the two things about it that got over number one calling her mama sita which is just like i love that that's so fucking brilliant he said that that was something that people would use to kind of you know that was like verbiage that would be used you know in in his in his neighborhood growing up and people you know that he knew they would they would call their loved ones mama sita or girl they were flirting with mama sita or whatever it is and the other thing was latino heat which Latino I only found recently means a boy. Yes. So boy heat. Yes. <laughs> but Latino heat is based off of the movie um, The Birdcage. Right. Where the character in that says, oh, I've got Guatemalan heat. Right. You know, and then Eddie just ran to me in a promo and says like, you want some of my Latino heat, don't you, baby? And that was just you know, signs everywhere. Yeah. The song all of a sudden is Latino heat, Latino <laughs> heat. Fucking golden stuff. Yeah, so good. And, you know, I tried to find interviews where he talked about working with China because obviously during her time, this would have been kind of a shit period in, in real mm. life for China. Yeah. And he said that what was hard about it was that he could tell that she was mad at the world and having an awful time, but also, you know, he recognized that he was part of the world. So he kind of like, he never took anything about it personally. Mm. He said like they kind of, at the start, it was a bit tense, but they grew together. So like they really kind of helped each other because they were yeah. both going through really shit times for different reasons and they're actually both very similar as people Mm. like they're both very emotional very pure spirits i think like yeah you know that take things personally and take things very seriously as well so i think Mm -hmm. they made a really good match for each other because they got each other and there's also a little bit of that real in there sometimes because I was kind of a bit like, oh, it's it's. I I kind of when I saw it for the first time again recently, I was like, this was this was too hard to watch because it got a little bit real. But I did show it to you anyway just because of the intensity, which is the the kind of the breakup angle and promos mm. between China and Eddie. Yeah, where Eddie was like lashing out about his career frustrations because China was getting in all these opportunities, and then China was kind of breaking down into tears because she doesn't know how to make him happy. And oh boy, like thinking about it now just talking about it with you it's kind of like it was almost like a bit i don't know if it was cathartic but certainly the real life emotions oh yeah it was fucking palpable in those scenes you could really feel that these are two people who 
I don't know, have, have been in these situations kind of in the past, maybe not identical to this, but have been in these like very intense romantic relationships. Yeah, just get run explosive. Hot. Yeah. yeah, and it, it's it's it is challenging stuff to watch, and I would think that probably the execution of it all in the end, because it was one of those things where they kind of split them up and then they brought them back together, and they split them up and then they kind of brought them back together and then kind of forgot about them a bit. It didn't have the kind of the happy ending or the big kind of finish between it. We never had like Eddie Guerrero versus China, the big match or whatever it yeah. is. But like it was a great way for you to see some of the stuff that Eddie could do other than just be an in-ring wrestler. But what was always interesting to me is that even though Eddie's closest confidant and his best friend was Chris Benoit, who's a guy who was almost like solely focused on the in-ring, Eddie never kind of thought like, oh, I can do this comedy shit now. I might take you. I might take it a little bit easier now. Like maybe I can adjust my work style or become a less. In, you know, he was still all about the in-ring performance mm. and being Mister Intensity and you know having the, the the best match possible and all that. And that I guess you know just speaks that he's a different breed of wrestler. Or maybe you know maybe he's driven in a different way. Maybe mm. he doesn't see success as a good thing, but more as a potential slippery slope. And I think yeah. for a lot of people in those positions, especially if you're a smaller guy in the WWE. Being put in a comedy slot, I think, could actually be a big, it could be a bad thing because yeah. it's like, right, well, that's I could, all you're known for then, like exactly. You know. you know, I already know that I've got, I'm kind of up against it with regards to my physical size and mm. and the fact that you know small guys do tend to be treated as jokes around here. Like, you know, if I get too good at this, that might be all I'm allowed to do. I love though that Eddie is one of the only guys that we've seen who. You know, it wasn't always part of his act, that kind of, you know, the, the character, the bit of the comedy or the kind of the, the, the cheeky smile to the audience, whatever it is. You know, there's the character being more part of his actual wrestling. Even when that got incorporated, you know, he was still wrestling like he used to wrestle to a high intensity. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think he is the proof positive that you don't need to be one or the other. You can be a great character. You can be a great in-ring wrestler. And those two things, you know, they work very, very well together, yeah. you know? And it also helps distinguish him from a lot of that other kind of that crop that we talked about but you know were you at all shocked or were you aware i guess about the fact that eddie and chris benoit were these kind of close kind of friends and you know their relationship grew closer as the years went on i only found out about that it was billy of all people ah Spoiler Billy, we Thanks, call Billy him. Thanks, Billy Keeble, yeah. Literally, like, when I first met, met Joe, I was like, you can't meet Billy Keeble. You can't meet my good friend. The and forbidden friend. Co-host Billy Keeble. <laughs> the forbidden door of opening the door into the living room, letting Billy come in to spoil a million episodes of How To Wrestle. Stay outside, Billy. You want to know why there's no How To Sin Cara? Billy Keeble. <laughs> and I can't remember what was the context or anything. I think maybe we mentioned we're going to do an episode on Eddie Guerrero at some point. I think he asked, are you going to be covering Chris Benoit? Because, of course, Eddie's death really impacted him. And that was the first I, I knew about them actually being, like, best friends. Yeah. Because I know I know a bit about the Chris Benoit stuff, but I was much more under the... I didn't realise that there was an emotional hardship going on for him at that time. I didn't know that yeah. he had made... I didn't know that he had gone through such a great loss. And that's it. Like, you know, Eddie was... You know, in the interviews I saw, anytime they asked about, you know, oh, Chris Benoit, your friend, he'd always correct and say, not friend, brother. Like, that, that's, yeah. that's the degree to which it was. And I think the fact that, you know, Benoit 
you know, I guess, you know, stuck through him during this this difficult period or whatever it is. Yeah. You know, Benoit was hardly spoken to in that WWE documentary, given no. that he's the guy who unquestionably was closest to him. Yeah. But also unquestionably was one of the most guarded people in wrestling mm. and would not speak about such things. So I guess that's part of it. But Eddie Guerrero shows up in 2001 high to a show in Minneapolis. And there is this kind of discussion amongst the members of his group, the Radicals, is like, do we let him come across Jim Ross, the head of talent relations, mm-hmm. or do we try and hide him? And Dean Malenko is like, I don't care. Let him, let him be seen. Like, you know, I'm, I'm kind of sick of covering for him Quite at this point. Quite right. And I think that's, you know, it's so irresponsible to let a wrestler perform that high. And, you know, when they can't look after themselves or the safety of the fellow performers. Mm. Like, it is, I'm... You know, it's one thing to like look out for your friend and protect their career and stuff, but when there's like other people's careers and other people's livelihoods in the mix, it's you're being selfish if you're protecting your friend at that point. Yeah, exactly. I think like covering is kind of uh, there's lots of cases of wrestling where covering for someone ultimately didn't do anyone any favors. Yeah. You know, so he's given a choice: you either go home now or you go into rehab. Mm. You know, the only way you're sticking with the company is if if you get help. You know, you get help, otherwise you're fired. And at this time as well because of how distant he's been and you know how inattentive he's been as a husband and father he's divorced as well you know i don't know if the divorce actually ever goes through yeah i think she just filed for the, the divorce they're filed for and divorce they separated for a while not me- i think they mentioned briefly in the documentary they didn't kind of go into it but during it was two years they were separated mm. he did have another partner during that time and he had another child mm. but after they eventually remarried in 2003 i think it was the the child from the other relationship was just kind of brought into the family and right. was considered, you know, part part of the family and all that. So, but, you know, rehab, I think, we were talking about rehab the other day, I think, mm. in terms of, you know, how, I think we'd heard someone say, like, rehab is only ever effective if you are at the point where you can say, I need this, I am at my point where I have to do it, so let's go. Yeah. And then I said to you, go, oh, but isn't that more like kind of, yeah, I get that point, but, you know, no one's to be drag kicking and screaming to rehab, but isn't rehab also the place where maybe you can get to that point, mm. you know, of realising that you need help if you are not going to be able to do that on the outside? Yeah. Where do you think Eddie was with this rehab? They were kind of a bit sketchy about the details. How do you mean, like, where he was? I mean, it didn't feel like he had reached the point where he's like, right, I'm rock bottom, I'm no. going to get healthy. It felt like they're telling me to go to rehab, so I'm going to rehab as I'm being told to do. But I don't know. It's kind of... I feel like that's... I've been a bit harsh then almost, you know? I think it was the right thing that he was sent to rehab. I think my issue with, with rehab in general is I think for a lot of people who haven't had substance abuse issues is, or haven't you know, um, known people with substance abuse issues is that they think that rehab is a one and done thing you go in you get clean the end yeah and i think people can be very cruel and unforgiving about how really going through rehab that's that's like point zero on your journey as a recovering addict yeah. like it's it's the, the hard stuff that comes afterwards mm. and i think uh, people are quite unfair on addicts for like expecting them to just kind of gotten over it by the time they come out of rehab like you've gone to rehab now that's done yeah now get over that or problem. like going into rehab multiple times is like the ultimate failure yeah. whereas you know it's if anything's been proven by WWE's policy of offering free rehab to people is that you know no harm can come from offering it multiple times because for every person who's had it so many times you think well, what's the point of giving them more free rehab mm. you know as if there's a, nothing worse than a billion dollar company giving a fucking couple of, <laughs> couple of grand to some hard done up wrestlers yeah. there are like enough cases of people where 
you know, not in and out of wrestling where, hey, guess what? Rehab visit number three or number four was the one that did the ticket. Yeah. Like, you know. Or maybe it isn't even a case of like, you know, it's, a, you know, a particular rehab is the one that did it. Mm. Sometimes I think it's a case of, you know, really, I think rehab should be looked at as a tool. And when you go to rehab, you, you learn tools. It's not a case of like, oh, I've got all the tools now. It's a mm. case of, you know, practice and things and being in the right place to be able to take those tools on board. And I think, you know, Sometimes it's a case of going to rehab and maybe maybe hitting rock bottom after the fact. But mm. the fact that you were given any tools in rehab, I think, gives you a better place to recover than if you hadn't gone in the first place. Is that kind of uh, something you subscribe to? Because I know that Vince McMahon, like, he pops up at one point in, in, in cheating death and stealing life to be like, you know, you have to. If you're addicted to drugs, you have to reach rock bottom. That's the yeah. only way you can come out the other side. Like he's, I know that Regal and his... his his recounting of you know his struggles with addiction, you know, he kind of had to admit that as well. And, yeah. You know, I think I don't know if Eddie was at that point because when he comes out, you know, they actually interviewed his AA sponsor, and mm. his AA sponsor was like, "Yeah, like pretty much straight away, like he he didn't want to be part of AA, he didn't want to be part of NA, he didn't want to be part of the recovery thing. He kind of went his own way and wanted to do it his own way, mm. and that own way involved." You know, I just want to have a glass of wine. Like, I want he to prove decided, that I'm not an yeah. alcoholic. He decided he wasn't an alcoholic and he could just have one glass of wine if he wanted. It's not a big deal. And then the trouble is, then he goes from that to saying, well, then I had to test my boundaries and test what my limits were and see if I could, you know, test myself and test myself and see if I can have, you know, just one drink. It's like the Ric Flair thing again as well. You know, the famous wrestler walks into a bar who's struggling with personal demons they're going to want to buy you a drink. Absolutely, yeah. Fans you know. are going to come up to you and you're going to feel rude then saying, no, thanks, I don't want a drink. You know, the glass of wine becomes a bottle and then there's you know, nine shots lined up in the bar. And yeah. it's, you, know, you realise at this point that I don't think there is a kind of a, a classic definition of this is an addict and this is what all addicts do or whatever it is. No. But certainly like there are behaviour patterns that come with addictive personalities. And I think, you know, Eddie definitely, whether it is the rush of wrestling itself or alcohol or pills or whatever is there a lot there are a lot of things that, that seem to get its hooks into eddie guerrero in that in that way you know mm. and he does have an addictive personality yeah. and they call him i was so shocked to hear this i can't remember who it was that said it i think it might have been jim ross yeah it was jim ross where they said eddie guerrero in 2001 was a disgrace to the company they said it to his face you're a disgrace to the company and they were like what message does it send to like this industry and our employ and our sorry our independent contractors if we don't fire you at this point what kind of influence are you being on those younger people i think that was like a big turning point for him to realize that like because i think that's again an important part of like uh your like an addiction journey basically is is when you were saying about rock bottom i think rock bottom is very personal yeah and it's it's and not there is no there is no rock bottom that is a rock bottom no, for everyone but you know? usually rock bottom for most people is when life on drugs is worse than life off drugs which is saying something because these people take drugs for a reason and it's yes. because life is very hard without them but he's at a point now where he's lost his wife he's lost his, his family job. he's lost his job you know he has you know he has almost nothing and you hear like you know chavo senior is like ah oh, you know i i tried to get him a couple of you know shows here and there and you know, I remember we were talking in the punk episode about oh you know, Eddie Guerrero was on the indies for this very brief window and it was kind mm. of magical because you know, people like Punk got to work with, you know, with Eddie Guerrero. You know, those those are, you know, 
really important moments in independent wrestling history, which, you know, without those moments, you know, modern wrestling may not exist as it does, but kind of viewing it through the lens of, you know, Eddie Guerrero wasn't there to do the Terry Funk Legends Tour, prepare the next generation. He was wrestling in, you know, small little hundred seat arenas, you know, in England and, you know, for Ring of Honor and stuff like that because mm. no one else would hire him. Yeah. Because, Which, you know, that's Eddie Guerrero in 2001. But, like, like, I think that's such a good thing. I think that's so good for someone strip like Strip it him. all away. Strip like, it all yeah. away. Back to basics. You know, you don't have to worry about, you know, looking after your family anymore because they're gone, okay? That stress as, as horrible as that is to think about, that's dealt with now. You don't have to worry about you being on top of the world as a WWE champion. That's gone too. Okay? Right now, you just focus on you. Just go wrestle. You know, earn yeah. some money so that you don't live on the streets and just focus on being healthy. And that's like exactly what he did. And it did. And he, it, it got his, you know, the word comes back. Hey, Eddie Guerrero's clean. He's tearing up on the indies. Someone else will probably sign him if we don't. So, you know, he's back. He's re-signed in 2002. He is remarried in 2003. The family is back together. Yeah, he renewed his vows with Vicky and their kids got to attend the wedding and apparently it was like a dream come true for them and it's so sweet. But like, what a fucking four years, you know? That's yeah. like, I feel like that's like a, a career's worth of ups and downs in, in, in not a very long time, yeah. really, you know? He said one thing that stuck with me that he said was that he realised when he was, when he made the decision that he had to get sober... He said that the only way he could stay sober was by taking it one hour at a time. He said if he thought about spending the rest of his life without having a drink or without taking drugs, it was it's just too hard yeah. and he just would relapse. But if he could just focus on getting through one hour without a drink, then that made it much more manageable. And I think that's a very important part yeah. of any person's like recovery through addiction is is kind of accepting that you can't control your whole life and it's like any type of piece of advice. Break it down into small manageable chunks. Which, you know, is one of those rare occasions where being a performer, and specifically being a wrestler, that can work to your advantage. Because when Eddie Guerrero came back in 2002, the focus and determination, not to say that he wasn't, like, he was already a great performer, a great yeah. character, all that. I know this next match is, is kind of, it's almost like kind of a coming out moment for Eddie Guerrero. It's like, this is the new Eddie Guerrero. We're talking Edge versus Eddie Guerrero in a no DQ match from SmackDown in 2002. When you saw him come out there, it was like, and they, they, the announcers straight away were like, whoa, Eddie Guerrero's like turned up to 11 here. Mm. Everything about him, the the mentality, the aura, the presence, the, the just how he looked, the physicality, the man was fucking dripping. You said he was a, a human slug when he came out. Oh my god, yeah. He was just so fucking greasy. It was He's great. So slimy. I've talked about people being slimy on the podcast before. Is, is it different from shiny, of course? Shiny's right. different. Eric yeah. Bischoff's shiny. Yeah. But Eddie Guerrero as a heel is slimy. And it's just literally he he was the shape of a slug as he came out and he was like Bleh. and his eyes became kind of stalky. He kind like of like, slug yeah, eyes. The way he just kind of like he almost like kind of creep, trail. creeps to the ring. Yeah. The way his hands are kind of always doing that little like movement. <laughs> the way he looks at people. Like honestly, if I'm if I'm getting anything from here at this point, it made me think back to like Jake Roberts talking about how everything is the performance, like how you carry yourself. How and you know he just he didn't feel like oh here comes the wrestler to do a wrestling match. Mm. It just felt like this is fucking Eddie Guerrero. Yeah, absolutely. You know? And if honestly, if I was to show one person, like you want to know what Eddie Guerrero's about, like just watch the entrance here, him yeah. versus Edge, because he pretty much gets out all the nuances of his character, the potential for humor and In all like that. A second, yeah. just looking at Edge, unbelievable. But I mean, he looks good. 
He looks very good in the face. Like he looks like he's Vicky Guerrero. Huge, though, yeah, right? Vicky Guerrero says he's got peace in his eyes again, and I would agree with that. He looks happy, but he looks like he's borrowed someone else's shoulders. Like he looks like he's wearing like someone else's shoulders on his own shoulders. It doesn't suit him. It doesn't look healthy. Jericho said that his nickname in Japan was the uh, the the flamingo because he had this massive upper body mm. and then these like very kind of thin legs and all that. Very accurate description. But yeah, he is he's he's a tank here. Yeah, you he's know? big. And he does not he does not move any slower. He does not lose a step. Honestly, if anything, he's I think quicker, this I think. is he's quicker here. And he's taken on edge and this is, you know, during Edge's period where he is, you know, being groomed as the next top guy, so this match is absolutely meant to get across, you know, that this is kind of the future of the wrestling business. These are the the, the, the style of wrestling that you can look forward to. This is when Paul Heyman was booking SmackDown and he knew that Edge was going to be his new young star and he knew that Eddie Guerrero could be, like, the guy to make big, big stars, big moments with, you know. And I think, oh boy, I mean, I was excited enough about this match and then when Taz said, whoa, Cole, there's a whole lot of ease in this match. You got Eddie? You got Edge? Whoa! I was excited with all the E's as well, man. There's so many of them in this match. Taz is easily pleased. <laughs> the verticality on Eddie Guerrero, anytime he takes any move that requires his body to go on the Y-axis, was mm. uh, pretty goddamn incredible. Not bad for someone with such small legs and big shoulders. You'd think that's very hard. And like, you were pointing at... Again, thank you for my, my height checker here, Joe Gray. Mm. Edge... He's a big boy. He is yeah, a... he's like six foot two or three. And Eddie, like I, I knew that Eddie was 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 working his magic when some of the biggest reactions that were coming from you and me were for like the most basic moves. <laughs> Eddie Guerrero hits a vertical suplex, and we're like, oh, <laughs> you know what? He just there's a. There's something very believable about how he manages to get people up and over and stuff yeah. like that. And he does it with great ease. Like, he picks up these bigger people. Mm-hmm. The way he swivels his hips and stuff mm-hmm. like that for those three amigos is an absolutely beautiful thing. Also, as well, how Eddie Guerrero sells. Oh, it's beautiful. <laughs> it's like it's like a tantrum almost a little bit sometimes. Yeah. Like, he's thrashing about. Like, the, the pain is annoying to him. Another influence I feel that he's had on modern wrestling, because I feel like so many wrestlers now do that style of like oh i'm having a little tantrum now and actually it really annoys me i don't like i don't like how many people do it yeah, now because yeah. it feels silly like becky lynch does it all the fucking time no 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 yeah. you should do that when people react to your promos in 2022 not fake drama you've created in a match <laughs> in 2022 more on that on patreon <laughs> the one thing that is distracting in this match and if this was you and you did this, you nearly ruined a very great match. Who was that screaming? There was a. There, oh, you're making out that they were a fun time screamer. This person was sounding like they were being murdered over and over again. I swear we've come across this screamer before. Who is the, who are they? What who are they? Who is the mysterious screamer? Who is the the screamer? The the SmackDown screamer? Like I bet it's Taz. Paul Heyman was like, and then we put the, the SmackDown screamer in the audience, <laughs> and they'll ruin all the matches, and people want to know who is the screamer. <laughs> <laughs> it's not long before a ladder is brought into this match, and the referee gets bumped with it. It is very, very cool to see. Eddie with a ladder a couple of years after that match where he's a little bit of a, you know, a little bit, not scared, but a bit more apprehensive with it. There's no apprehension with Eddie Guerrero and Edge here because Edge is Mr. Ladder Match and fuck me. These guys wail each other on top of this thing. I I actually think 
we mentioned the Edge episode. This might have been one of the moments where Edge got the problem with his neck. You know when oh, he just no. you know, he's flat backs bumps onto the ladder and makes yeah. that big. <laughs> I think that's the point because his bottom oh, of his neck. God. It's absolutely horrible. Mm. There's some moments here from Eddie though that were were were, were breathtaking. He does that kind of thing where he grabs your hand and he goes and he walks on the ropes mm. and he springboards off. I love that shit. Yeah, that's fantastic. Cool. Another ladder gets brought out, which is. Uh, absolutely hideous because we get edge on a ladder with another ladder on top Mm -hmm. so it's an egg sandwich on ladder bread Mm -hmm. and then eddie guerrero does his tope over that landing onto it that that i think got the wince of the night out of you yeah that's horrible like really (laughs) painful that just must suck so bad that like that just feels like a jackass spot yeah there's no good way to take no like it's really horrible (laughs) you're you're rolling into the corner of the ladder with that all the way you may as well have a skateboard guillotine A true mark of a man is someone who can get an audience earnestly to chant that they suck and then unironically 10 minutes into the match are chanting your name out of appreciation. (laughs) We get Eddie Sucks chants that are so passionate and then Eddie chants that are so genuine as well. Uh, It was... It was something else. Not many people can dual wield hatred and adoration quite like that at the same time. Or as Taz referred to it, wickedly... (laughs) 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 Or as Taz calls it, wickedly wacky awesome stuff is that what he called it yep wickedly wacky awesome stuff i think i must have dreamt that he went off on this tirade and called it like whizzy wacky woozy it was that sunset bomb off the ladder what did it show that's what broke taz the sunset flip power bomb off the ladder it was uh, and eddie landed on his feet as well which which was a a thing of absolute (laughs) beauty and then Eddie takes a fucking crazy bump. He gets backdropped into the corner where there's a ladder there. Edge manages to then set up a configuration where he's on a ladder in the corner and him and Eddie are both stood on the ropes and he DDTs him off the ropes. Egg picks up the win in a truly phenomenal match. This was... Wow. Like, oh, I saw people recommending this one a lot in the tweets. I was like, really? Just a random SmackDown match? All right. And... Fucking hell, I wasn't disappointed. <laughs> I mean, you of all people, you're literally aren't you doing 2001 at the moment for SmackDown? Crawl? Yeah, but this, this is you know, the right we're going. It'll be like 2029 before we get to 2002. But, I'm so. just saying, like, as because I would have agreed, like, once upon a time, I'd have gone seriously on SmackDown. But like, having been a backseat viewer for you doing SmackDown Crawl, I am amazed at the the standard of wrestling on smackdown it's so good it's it, all the vince mcmahon promos folks it's, it's not just yeah. that it's not just that there's, there's other stuff too like <laughs> stephanie she broke her her earring the really expensive diamond one. Oh, true yeah yeah um there's other stuff as well but look the point is it's really good and it puts like current day wwe pay-per-views to shame like, yeah because you know this is a smackdown episode there were ad breaks there was loads of more replays than you probably would get, but it actually made it feel more exciting. The fact yeah. that you know when we came back from the break every time, it was like, oh god, all this other shit happened. Look, and yeah. you know, I felt like I watched most of this match picture in picture because there were so many replays. <laughs> but yeah, this this made me nostalgic. This was like kind of this made me go, wow, like you didn't know how good you had it when you were watching this back mm-hmm. in two thousand and two. This was special fucking stuff yeah. right here. 
How did you get on with, with Eddie and Egg? I loved it. I loved it so much. It was a perfect match. I oh, gave it baby! Five out of five stars. Yes! Just wowie. Love it, love it, love it. One of, them, oh. one of them stars has to be for Eddie's shiny red pants as well, yeah, though, definitely. right? Those yeah. are next tier. Unbelievable. <laughs> no, seriously, this match is perfect, and I would recommend it to literally anyone. Like, <laughs> new fans, old fans, everyone. Like, if you want to get across Eddie Guerrero, it's perfect for that. If you just want to go like, oh, I just want to watch a random good match from 2002. There you go. It's Easy. great. It's just so good. Yeah. I just cannot recommend it highly enough. I had a great time. And these guys have wrestled a whole bunch of other times as well. So, really? you know, Eddie and Edge is, is pretty much a sure bet, you know, anytime that, that you do it. Yeah, it was absolutely excellent. And, you know, there's part of me now that like sees that match and think about the context of when like a match like that would happen. I mean, I mentioned as well there was a Rob Van Dam ladder match that happened around that time that was like breathtaking, you know, unbelievable match. By the way, Eddie Guerrero said that uh, Fro- Rob Van Dam, not Art Bar, has the most beautiful frog splash in wrestling. I feel I need to rewatch Rob Van Dam's frog splash because like I would have agreed at the Rob Van Dam episode point that he did the perfect frog splash but having seen art bars frog splash i just i think it might be better i don't know i need to i need to rewatch rvd's you, one you need to see more art bar frog splashes as well i think you know well, i feel like i got a good glimpse of art yeah. bar. he did like a few frog splashes and they were perfect it's kind of isn't it though, like around this point when you, when, you, when you take it into this context though of the you know this excellent match this like real like kind of check out eddie guerrero two point fucking oh everyone mm. that you know I almost wasn't surprised at all when they start going for this kind of redemption arc with him about being like kind of, you know, Eddie Guerrero, like talking about Eddie Guerrero's struggles and what he's overcome and, mm. you know, saying, you know, and it wasn't until a couple years later that they really went whole hog into it. But like, even now with the benefit of hindsight and knowing what comes after this and what came before it, it is still probably one of the most like goddamn awe-inspiring inspirational things ever to go from there to hear that match that we've just seen, it is awe-inspiring, yeah, like, it you is. know? And it does, That's like you know, the American dream, really, isn't it? It is, and that kind of... I always am going to have a little bit of an issue, and I think over on the Patreon, we've dealt with this a lot in the last year and a bit with the Jeff Hardy use, uh, you know, throughout 2020 as well, I guess that was happening. Mm. Jeff Hardy, WWE, and the use of his kind of personal problems and all that, and that just kind of... Ugh, it just rubbed me the wrong way for so yeah. many reasons... And in, oh, yeah, it's in, just, in theory, any use of someone's personal mm. problems does kind of rub me the wrong way. But I almost don't blame them because it's like, God, everyone's so fucking happy for him. Yeah. You know? Mm. So Eddie finds himself at this point in time where, where he becomes a face because he's so entertaining at this point. The fans are behind him that it's time for Eddie Guerrero to step into the limelight as a good guy. And the way they do this was excellent. They had him and Chavo Guerrero team up together as Los Guerreros. <laughs> So what does that mean? The Guerreros. Oh, okay. (laughs) They were Chavito and Eddie Guerrero, Los Guerreros. And this was like great for me because I always thought that Chavo was like boring, just like, oh, he's just some other lad. He happens to have this surname. It's really funny, right? So I think Dean Malenko is really boring. But I really like Chavo Guerrero and I think he's really interesting. So he's just the same guy. Oh, I don't no. know why I think Chavo's like got a... the Guerrero blood in him, Joe. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's why I like him so much more. And Chavo definitely has a sense of humour. And, you know, I think almost always the best times with skits in wrestling, you know, where it be D'Lo Brown and Mark Henry in the limousine or, or Vince McMahon and his ex-son Shane in a, in a church, you know, talking about God... When it's just a couple of people being told, look, 
here we are. We're outside the office. We're on an away day. It's a bit of a jolly. <laughs> Beach episode. Yeah, let's just fucking film some stuff and see what happens. And the clips we got to see of Chavo and Eddie be like the... Like, they're playing these, like, stereotypical, like... I don't know, like, as an Irishman living in Manchester, like, the kind of, the idea of, like... The, oh, yeah, there could have been an equivalent, definitely. Yeah, like, they're, they're doing this whole thing where it's, like, the dodgy man who's going to knock yeah. on your door and be like, oh, I'll paint your house but steal the ladder, as Dylan Morin would say. But, uh, <laughs> you know, they're, they're like, oh, you got to be careful, your pool's going to leak, you know, and they've got all these, Get like, water tubes. In it. You, know, you don't want that to happen. Or, like, stealing, like, a baby's milk bottle and stuff like that. What I will say about this, and this has kind of come up once or twice before is that like, Eddie actually did a series of interviews for this like WWE VH1 crossover where they were like stereotypes in wrestling. Yeah. And they talked about like, oh, you know, we had, you know, the wrestlers hailing from deepest, darkest Africa or the Iron Sheik or Nikolai Volkov, the history of wrestling using ethnic stereotypes and caricatures to get heat and to ride up the crowd and put people in the audience. Now, Eddie in that, he spoke, I remember I watched it was like on holiday in Italy at the time and I was like, oh, pretty well spoken there from Eddie Guerrero and he explained it as being like it's it is a stereotype like mm-hmm. I am playing a stereotype Eddie's the the dodgy guy from the block the yeah. guy who kind of you know he's uh he plays into a lot of those stereotypes but he was saying for him the reason why it's different from those old gimmicks from the past is that it wasn't being used for heel heat even though Los Guerreros was originally meant to be a baddie tag team yeah it's, it's, it's instead meant to be kind of more of a joyful celebration and also like I'm representing my culture. I think they gave themselves enough wiggle room to kind of go, well, it's not just a bottom of the barrel stereotype because around you know this time as well or not long after you had Juventud Guerrero, Super Crazy and Psychosis, three amazing wrestlers from Mexico who came out in lawn lawnmowers being like, hey, we're going to mow your lawns because oh, we're the Mexicals. Christ. So... I will say Eddie Guerrero managed to rise above it, mm. but what was being given to him was pretty stereotypical stuff. And it was given to him rather than him and Chavo being like, hey, wouldn't it be great if we kind of like, you know, went back to our, you know, the stereotype of our roots and made fun of that. Well, you know, him and Chavo, like I've said, you know, the, those skits, the Los Guerreros ones that we watched, that, that was a very much a, something that they worked with together. Yeah. Another person who's involved in that is Bruce Pritchard. <laughs> No, now, oh no I was what, expecting Vince. Here's, Bruce Pritchard. Here's the thing about yeah. this. Bruce Pritchard also grew up and promoted and was part of that Houston wrestling scene. That, oh, was he? You know, so he was part of that and he was best mates with Eddie Guerrero. Wow. Okay, and, that's my thought bad because I just assumed that Bruce Pritchard was like a Connecticut. Well, <laughs> the thing about that is, is that the way Pritchard talks about all the stuff with Guerrero and all that and he fucking loves it because it's, you know, he grew up he would he would have involved in wrestling in that territory where a mm. lot of like the stereotypes around Latin American culture or whatnot were being used for heat or for 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 good guys or whatever to 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 ingratiate him with the fans and you know uh he's a lot more comfortable than I would be doing a very very over the top impression of Eddie Guerrero's voice and all the stuff that they would do and she's Bruce <sighs> I think it's kind of one of those things that I don't think it was done from a place of hate. No. But if someone came up to a WWE person go like, I find that a bit in poor taste, I don't think they have much of a leg to stand on. Right. Other than at least Eddie and Chavo were the guys that were kind of presenting it. They weren't being put into a corner with it. At least that's not how they said it. But it was something that was kind of a collaboration with a white lad who thought that it was all in good taste and good fun. And you don't need me to tell you that Vince McMahon and WWE 
think there's great yucks to be had. That, yeah, I mean, you know, that's, yeah, you can't really use Vince McMahon's enjoyment of a thing to determine if it's good or bad because he just has no taste. <laughs> I mean, it is, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because, you know, I would think of a segment where it's like JBL comes backstage and, hey, where are the limos, where are the tires from our limousine? And the limo is on like cinder blocks, yeah. you know, like the kind of stereotypical, you know, guys have stolen your, your, yeah. your wheels. I'm kind of going, well, that's really funny because the, the image of like a limo with its tires been taken is really funny. I mean, I think any type of stealing is hilarious. I think, I don't know why, I've got like a weakness for thievery as a, as a comedy concept, especially in wrestling. I think it's hilarious. But you know, if you tuned into your show and you're like, you know what? I'm fucking sick and tired of all these stereotypes about Latin Americans being fucking thieves and all that. It's kind of like, you know, it's not, it's not a real equivalence, but it'd be like kind of for me, if I saw an Irish stereotype being done or whatever it is, and if it's kind of offensive or whatever it is, it's kind of, well, what, where is it coming from? But I think probably Mexican Americans and Mexicans receive a lot more day-to-day abuse. And that's more part of their world than I would ever experience mm. as an Irish guy, even living in, in the United Kingdom. Mm. So yeah, I, I would say there was a couple of times when we were going back on some of the, the classic Eddie stuff of the Lion Cheating Steel and Los Guerreros, where it was a little bit like, Oh, okay. And also as well, with the China stuff as well, like there was a few times mm. where it's like kind of like, hey, I'm Eddie. I, I don't have my GED. You can probably guess why. And like, you know, Ooh. there's a point where it's kind of like where if you're expecting him to do stuff because he does all these other stereotypical things, mm. that is like, obviously, that's kind of crap because I don't think that's that's doing anyone any favors. Yeah, yeah. But like, you know, as we said before, you know, I think Eddie Guerrero, he brought in verbiage he brought in culture you know the lowriders like for for me who was watching pit my ride at the time I was like hey that's a fun gimmick but like lowriders that's a big fucking deal in you know california texas all sorts of latin american communities it's like seeing that in a new one every week on tv when they were coming out together that's yeah. that's fucking big so yeah i don't know i mean for you did it strike you as in poor taste you know i don't know because i feel like i always have a lot of historic baggage with this because i was like well i didn't think it was racist when i was 15 so you know yeah, i genuinely don't i don't know because like okay so the way i think about it is kind of like trailer park boys mm. which is kind of like a similar argument only it's it's less about race and more about class yeah but like it's the same idea of like okay you're stereotyping a certain type of person in a criminal way but also in a very in a very human charming way and on one hand i kind of think it's good because it makes it it kind of demonstrates that just because someone is stealing things doesn't make them a bad person because there's circumstances yeah. often beyond that but with i've i'm not seen i've only seen like literally two clips of the lying cheating stealing stuff with chavo yeah and i don't know if they go into the background of like you know the human side of why they're doing it or if they they kind of do the other end of that and just go because it's funny well i mean that's that's kind of is like that that's why they would do it and then they would come into the matches you know and then it became it became more of eddie's thing where and i think i showed you a lot of the kind of the smoking gun things where he would do where he'd low blow someone then hold his crotch so funny or like you know throwing the chair at someone and then lying down like that is like that, that i mean i think that's like that's separate from the conversation about whether the the stuff he did with chavo is like dodgy or not know, because that's generally some of the that's greatest wrestling just ever pure perfect yeah. like incredible like, innovation do you want to know what wrestling and entertainment together is it's that it, it's that and yeah. that is like i could watch that for fucking years yeah. and I mean, there's, years. <laughs> there's a reason why like rick flair was so over when he did it it's just like eddie guerrero is doing that but times a million yeah it's so much more fun to see like you know one thing about doing something behind the ref's back but it's like 
it's the coming up with new situations and circumstances that allow other people to kind of yeah. bounce off of it and all and that as well you know because it's eddie it's charming like he is this natural you know just as he was when he was a one-year-old two-year-old boy he's this like very charming man whereas rick flair is like this kind of gross aging white dude who has way too much money and no sense <laughs> so you kind of feel he's despicable when he does it but when eddie does it it's just like you just love him more and you want him to get away with it. And that's it. Like, Eddie's having... Like, Eddie was very um, infectious. He was having fun doing these things. So it didn't feel like it was coming from a, a mean-spirited place or anything like I that. I think it just feels clever. It's like he's better than that other performance because he understands loopholes. Yeah, and I think that that in its own right is probably enough to answer the question of kind of, you know, oh, is, is parts of that gimmick kind of, you know, stereotypical and therefore, you know, negative or bad or whatever. But I mean, you know, the grand scheme of things, you think it rests in a year or two before this gimmick, you had luchadors in WCW having their voices dubbed over against their oh, will. Oh no, I forgot And about competing that. for a pinata on a pole no. match. So yeah, wrestling has got its roots and still does. It still plays off of stereotypes. It still plays off of, you know, culture wars and stuff like that. And it always will. And it always will. I think what we had there was something that was trying to be a bit more nuanced, but definitely in 2022... You, know, you you wouldn't be doing that these days because I don't think there's any performer who's confident enough and has enough of enough of a comfort level with dealing with something that could be potentially a little bit dodgy. I love the know? idea. I'm not saying that they have to be like, you know, South Americans or anything, but I love the idea of having characters in wrestling who are thieves. Yeah. And it not necessarily mean that they're baddies. No, no. If the only thing it means they're kind of good guys because they're charming. I, I, I know I said it's like a personal thing that I find hilarious and I really like it, but like also I just think societally we've come a long way from the idea of it being an unnuanced like ha 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 we're laughing at them because they're poor or because they are unfortunate yeah i'm, like, I'm cheering for the complicated hero yeah. is what i think is it's more like exactly and I, I, the fact is that it's funny that's 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 you know that's the gold stuff there with them and i think lie cheat and steal you know if if you can separate it from kind of cultural connotations or whatever I just think that it, you know, Lychee Steel is the the entrance video, the t-shirt, like the, just them saying it over and over again. You know, Eddie saying like one thing to someone and being like, by the way, when I said that I was sorry, I lied. And, you know, it's, <laughs> it's so cheesy. So for you know, and Taz would be like, whoa, Eddie's lied and cheated in this match. You think he's going to steal next call? You know, <laughs> and that, that shit just kind of, it, it was brilliant. You know, it, it was a little bit of a throwback because Chavo and Eddie would have cheat to win as their kind of moniker in, in W. WCW mm. but you know Eddie kind of outgrew the tag team quite quickly you know he had some feuds with John Cena for the United States Championship but it was around this point like where Eddie was coming out in the low rider on his own he was the big star I think Chavo got injured for a little bit that's why Eddie had to team up with Tajiri if we remember in his episode we had a, a brief pairing those two right so then before we know it Eddie Guerrero is is a single star and he's been pushed and it's it's funny. I think this happens a lot in wrestling, where you just kind of get into a mindset of just accepting that people are at a certain level, and even if their skill set is like explosive, you just kind of go, ah, well, you know. Like if you think ask me about like certain wrestlers in WWE in 2022, I'd be like, ah, oh, you know, they're good and all that, but like you know, there's only so much you could do being in that company, right? Mm. You know, because just the way wrestling works out and big companies yeah. work out, people's potential is very rarely reached. Mm. Still to this day it is a little bit unbelievable and a little bit shocking that Eddie Guerrero gets a title match against Brock Lesnar in 2004. <laughs> yeah, even for me, that was shocking because I don't agree with you that like, or maybe I don't agree with what you were saying specifically, but like, um, 
I know for a lot of fans, it's kind of like, whoa, he got the world title at all is like amazing. And to me, it's like, well, of course he did. He's Eddie Guerrero. Yeah, yeah, to me, yeah. that's like <laughs> one and done. It's linked. Eddie Guerrero was the world champion. He's great. He should have been world champion, obviously. But like, right. not even that, because I think I come from a place, you know, I joined wrestling as a fan after he died. So yeah. to me, he's always been a world champion because that's what he was. He's always been a big name in your mind. Yeah, I've never had yeah, to yeah. watch him come from nothing. But even for me, with those that lack of preconception, the idea of him fighting against Brock Lesnar for the championship is like mind blowing. Did you know what your quote was when we were going into Brock Lesnar versus Eddie Guerrero at No Way Out 2004? Oh boy, I'm really looking forward to seeing Eddie Guerrero get F5'd until he explodes. Sigh. <laughs> oh, I wasn't being, I was being sincere. I was excited. Oh, but I thought it was coming from the perspective of, you know, uh, you know, this is from all these recent uh, pay-per-views we've had to watch on Patreon that you were like, oh, it's a Brock Lesnar match. Ergo, splash. That's no. all that's going to happen. I mean, yes, that's probably all that's going to happen, but I don't. I think that's necessarily a bad thing. It depends on who he's against. And Eddie Guerrero is the perfect... Like, you know, I was saying about the press line with China. He, yeah, yeah. He bounces like nothing oh, else. Oh, I see. So you were looking forward to the selling. Yeah. I just thought you thought that Brock Lesnar, now then, always, was just like the ultimate spoil sport. No, that was a happy sign. <laughs> I was excited. The rare happy sign. Yeah. <laughs> I understand, though, the context of Brock Lesnar did make it probably seem like an unhappy sign. So, uh, <laughs> tell me, the, the video package for this one, this was a, a promo that people were, you know, a lot of people considered to be his best. For me, I, and I'm a bit more conflicted about this promo, it's the, the addict promo, where you got, like, Brock Lesnar in his face being like, you know, you're not good enough, you're not on my level, you're an addict, if you were to become a champion, you'd be a disgrace to this company, no one wants you. Wait, he said that? Oh, yeah, and he says, you The literal thing... words of Jim Ross as they fired him? And he's like, you better be addicted to fucking losing, because that's all that's going to happen to you with me. And then Eddie Guerrero's like, you're right. I am an addict and I'm addicted to these people. You know, I'm addicted to the reaction I get from these people. Mm. And then like, it's like, you know, I'm going to get my fix at, you know, at the pay-per-view, you know, the only thing in my veins is like, is, is my passion for wrestling. Basically using all the verbiage, mm, you know, drug use, of yeah. drug use and the, the, you were saying the colour he turned in this promo. Oh yeah. He goes a really scary colour. At this, this point he starts to look on well. There's like, there's that, fire that he can turn on because i know we watched yeah. i know we, we talked about the angle already for the ray episodes we're not going to go into it again but we watched obviously all the the ray dominic yeah eddie stuff and the intensity is there and that and i know that like when we were watching it just kind of like bam he goes from like no and all of a sudden everything's engaged and he's fucking doing hardcore promo mode i mean it's proper vince mcmahon stuff like yeah. he vince. it's i really think he got some mentoring there from vince mm. because he really does that kind of evil smugness that is so it, it flicks to angry so quickly shouts just the right amount mm. where you and don't then think, whispers yeah you don't think oh that's a shouty promo it's like you know it's actually reaching this kind mm -hmm. of moment here but yeah it's it is them kind of as strong as they had ever had at this point acknowledge not just acknowledging eddie's kind of past but kind of making that the foundation of this feud. Yeah. And Eddie's coming out here in San Francisco, which has got, you know, a sizable Latina population who are there for Eddie. The, the signs in the crowd, they are so pro Eddie. And Michael Cole is like, two years ago, this man woke up in a jail cell. He did not know how he got there. Like, they're talking about, like, the shit we were talking about. Mm -hmm. Like, the stuff that they almost were a little bit 
hesitant to mention on the documentary and yeah. they're here like Michael Cole's like Eddie Guerrero you know he overdosed two times in three there and I was I was shocked by that yeah but it it worked in the sense that this crowd were like so sympathetic mm. they empathized they understood it you know you think about the painkiller epidemic that is in america now i mean yeah it was still there in 2004 oxycontin was 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 plenty popular back then and many more things besides i think it did even if there is some kind of sensitivity there i think it struck a chord with people who wanted to see someone who genuinely had overcome this yeah Vince McMahon, I think, has been trying to push that because he knows mm. that's one of those things that's like fucking just pure ambrosia for a wrestling audience. Well, he so. needs to listen to his own advice then and realise that you can't do it until they're ready, until they've hit rock bottom. And that's why it doesn't work with, with Jeff because Jeff's not there yet. He's not at a point. Well, maybe he is now, but I don't think when he was in the WWE, he was at a point where they could be turning that into like a happy ending storyline. Where's your fucking crystal ball? Because I don't know how, like, that's the thing. Like, how did he grow reach rock bottom? I mean, at this point, absolutely, he had already reached that, Mm. you know? He's definitely not taking, you know, painkillers and drinking and stuff like that now. But the back acne and the size of Eddie Guerrero, I mean, like, he is definitely, you know, he's, he's, he's taken something. Yeah. You know? And I just kind of... It feels like this is almost. I wonder if this is used like figuratively for for WWE as being like it worked and it was in good taste as far as we're concerned because mm. it worked and it was empowering and it was encouraging and it helped him and it helped an audience who saw it live and how many other people who could see that later on go look at that like someone's overcome their problems with drugs maybe I can or maybe my f- person I know will overcome yeah it's it's a tricky thing because it almost feels like this is almost an exception to the rule because i would say you shouldn't do this mm. you know but you can't deny this is a very like i i was i was covered in goosebumps mm. i didn't have particularly again for watching this match and being like fuck yeah eddie guerrero but i didn't have the the reaction the feeling when he came out i almost was in tears when he was coming out i was just just from michael cole just bam 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 hit me with all the stuff that was kind of in my head and the audience were just they were straight away chatting Eddie, Eddie, Eddie. They were there for him. It was it was a big fight feel for sure. Yeah. You know? The little smirk that he gives at the start of the match as well. And then he goes, let's get high. Oh boy. Mm. <laughs> I don't know. What do you think? I don't think the angle itself is tasteless. I think it's actually very empowering for him to do a lot of what he was doing. Because he's controlling the narrative, I guess, you know, in that sense. Yeah, and know? he is, like, he's genuinely, he's recovered. Like, yeah. And, it, you know, I, you can't, you haven't got crystal balls, you can't know the future, but I think he had genuinely, at that point, made a serious turning point in his life, and he had made that decision to be sober. Yeah. And, and he was ready to, you know, own that to the point where he would make that part of his character. Yeah. And all that. Yeah. But I feel it only worked because he himself had realized how much he'd fucked up his life. And I think he felt it very empowering for himself to acknowledge that fact mm. and kind of like make good on it. Yeah. You know, because he can't undo the things that he did when he was drunk or high, but he can at least be a positive role model for recovery. Yeah. Because but- I mean, like, you know, it's not, through, though, it's not as though every wrestler who's had this, you know, experience is then had to have this storyline. William no. Regal never had that storyline. Kurt Angle yeah. never had that storyline, you know. I think it only does work in the instances where the wrestler has made peace with themselves and their journey mm. and recovery. And I think the trouble is is that a lot of people maybe don't feel sure-footed in their place, in their yeah. journey. 
and they feel that they'd just be tempting fate. Whereas I feel like Eddie was an all or nothing person. I think at that point he had made the psychological decision to himself to never go back to that place. And like, you know, if you know that if you're getting your shot here now for a chance with the, the championship, and I know, yes, it's, you know, it's predetermined championships are not won in wrestling, mm. but, you know, this is the opportunity to do the thing that he said was most important, make yeah. much money as absolutely possible. So, you know, th- this this kind of plays off of that kind of weight of expectation of like the crowd know that Lesnar is like, you know, at this point it's young Lesnar as well. He's you know, such a baby. Where he's like 23 or something like that. You know, youngest Child. world champion, you know, and just seems like this unstoppable bully, a different type of bully than he is now in mm. modern wrestling. But Eddie does this amazing job at like making you think that maybe, just maybe this much shorter, much smaller, less strong I mean, arguably, he's he's a little bit quicker than Brock, but not much. Mm. Like, he's not got much on Brock, but he just has this little, little bit of hope. And I feel like... It feels like he wants it more. Yes, that's it. Yeah, it feels like... It, it's actually a slower-paced match than you would expect from Eddie Guerrero. But it's the fact that his little bits of hope, and it's, it's him going after Brock's leg to stop him from suplexing him. That's kind of the story of the match. But everything Eddie tries early on, it's met with fucking brutal opposition. Like, Brock powerbombs him picks him up and then just kind of spins around and fucks him <laughs> off to one side like he's a bag of potatoes. It was absolutely horrible to see those moments get snuffed out. But when Eddie starts getting in submission holes, there's a point he got Brock into an STF and it generally looked like Brock Lesnar's head and leg were about to fall off of his body. It was yeah, incredible. it seemed like his head was going to pop off just because his body shouldn't bend that way and all the air was getting trapped in the- <laughs> His lower back and his head would have to compensate by coming off. Like Eddie trying to do a figure four on Brock yeah, Lesnar. No, it's like not, work. He's, he's simply too big. Try and do that with a stretch arm strong. <laughs> it's made of meat. But I love it because you're later in the match, you have Lesnar. He's trying to do his suplexes, but he's doing it on one leg and he's kind of hobbling and doing <laughs> the suplex all at once. And Lesnar keeps screaming, die, Eddie, die. And he's covered in blood at this point. He's screaming at Eddie, die. And it's, you know, it, I would say, you know, th- this is the first time I'd seen this match since I had seen it originally, like when I watched it live. You know, I would say a bit of a warning in watching this one. They are kind of, they are using spicy language, let's just say, in it. But it, it makes it an emotive match. Mm. And the audience are at a fever pitch for, for most of the thing. There is a, a bit of a weird point in it where Brock, he's got Eddie... He's kind of, he's the point where you're like, this is the type of shit that I like. So when Brock had Eddie in that kind of bear hug position. Yeah. What is it he was doing that you like so much? It wasn't the bear hug. It was the, uh, what do you call it? The map based technical grappling He's rolling around. Yeah. Yeah. I love that shit. That's fucking fantastic. That amateur wrestling thing. (laughs) So he's kind of squeezing the life out of Eddie. Big long hug here. And then Eddie kind of like puts his arms out and like leans back in like a crucifix pose. And Cole goes, Eddie Guerrero, almost appealing to some sort of higher power, Taz. And he gets out of the bear hug <laughs> with God. Move I mean, over, Vince McMahon. Like. If anyone's going to do that, though, I'd want it to be Eddie Guerrero. I mean, Eddie Guerrero seems like the most legitimately passionate religious figure we've seen in wrestling. Yeah, and it's not just a case of like, oh, he found God because life was so fucking shit being sober that like he had to or else he would die like he's always loved god and you know but god probably played an important part of his recovery as well so 
I don't know, it just seems like a really happy, wholesome relationship he has to his religion. He literally got Chris Benoit into God. Yeah. Which, you know, that's 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 saying something to take something from your Mr. you know, wouldn't speak to anyone and he's given him a Bible for Chris you know, he's 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 trying to help his friend by opening up to this side of spirituality and you know yeah it's not for me personally but no. i think in wrestling you shouldn't begrudge people things that help them oh, you shouldn't know in life begrudge people things that help them yeah that's very, that's very <laughs> got a bit laser focused there i mean there's stories chavo would say that eddie would be like you know he'd get he's so he loves god he'd walk into the locker room he'd be stark naked and be like god isn't that such a great fucking smackdown God is so great, everyone. Let's read some scripture. Uh, Eddie, you're naked anyway. Corinthians, <laughs> here we go. Uh, you know, just that's that's the kind of uh, that's the kind of over the top zealousness for religion. That's kind of like it's a it's it's heartwarming. You yeah, know, it's to, nice. to know that there was something there that was giving him solace other than the wrestling itself. Yeah. You know, but Eddie Guerrero and Brock Lesnar, this is a hard hitting one here. You know, these guys, they Eddie's arm is bleeding at one point. I think. Yeah, and Brock's nose gets busted open. Fucking hell! The three amigos, Eddie, with those triple suplexes. That's a that's a thing of beauty. That that's basically that that's what almost always starts an Eddie chant in wrestling. Right, yeah. Keep your eyes open because everyone does the old triple suplex. You know, you'll get yeah, Punk doing it, Sasha doing it. You know, get the big Eddie chance. You know, I fucking. <laughs> or if you're a heel, like you're the baddie doing it, like you know Andrade or someone will do it. We'll start booing him or whatever, <laughs> and then start chanting Eddie. <laughs> so Eddie goes for the frog splash, but he misses. We get the F five, but Eddie is F five into the referee. Which causes Brock Lesnar to go and through a little bit of lying, cheating, and stealing of his own. No, Brock, not like that. We don't like when you do it. <laughs> it's awful. And uh, we expected Bill Goldberg to show up in this one, Joe. No. <laughs> well, I didn't even know he was in the company at this point. Yeah, this was this actually. Funny. I love anytime we can kind of link up. up some of the- Is this around the same time they had their shit match? This led up. This oh was the my God. angle that led to them at WrestleMania. So this is just before they both left the company. Yep. <laughs> now this is casually left out of most of the recaps of Eddie Guerrero beating the beast Brock Lesnar. But yeah, Goldberg does come out, gets a big pop. It was kind of, it did distract me. You know, I thought, look, he's going to come out and do his spot. I knew that was coming. But the fans did start chatting Goldberg as soon as the referee got bumped down. And they weren't looking at Eddie. And I thought, oh, no, fuck that. Mm. But what I thought was very, very nice indeed was that Goldberg comes out. He does the spear. Eddie does goes for the pin. But Brock kicks out. And then we go into the final sequence. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like, you yeah, know. Goldberg won. Yeah, Goldberg's little buddy, Eddie Guerrero, won yeah. the match. And, everything. and I, honestly... This finish, this was gasp-worthy. This was fantastic. He gives Lesnar a DDT. Can we just acknowledge, by the way, how far I've come as a wrestling fan? You know a DDT. I, I mean, I, yeah, I, I sometimes know a DDT. Yay! Uh, I know a Hurricane Rana. You do? I know a... What was the move that Brock Lesnar was doing that caused Eddie Guerrero to give him the DDT, though? I don't remember. So Brock had him up for the F5. And oh, I could have guessed that. Spin him around. To be fair, like, what move was Brock Lesnar doing on this Brock day? It was the Brock Lock, Joe. It was the Brock Lock. Was it an F5? Oh, fucking, that's a multiple choice question there with 50% answer. Jesus Christ. I'm, edit that bit out and get it so I did it right. Okay. <laughs> So you get the DDT that is onto the belt as well. Like considering the amount of spinning that was going around, the fact that they and neither man could actually see where they were landing, that's you know, I, I it's almost psychic. I thought, yeah. You know? And Eddie's been described by opponents as being like Kurt said he was like psychic, you know, when he wrestled him, you know, that he could almost you know 
be where he was meant to be ahead of schedule or yeah. like or you think or maybe we should do this and you look over and he's already doing it like you know i think that comes with like literally growing up in a ring like learning to crawl walk and wrestle like literally like that yeah it's just become second nature to you it's like breathing <laughs> like, see, there was all these stories like when he was eight he'd go around and like you know all the little all the little people wrestlers you try and like wrestle them like you just try you try and wrestle anyone adults. yeah like, like, wrestle you. are you sure you want to do that little boy <laughs> But he picks up the win. The crowd are in unison. Everyone's on their feet. Like, Colin Taz. Like, this is the thing. Like, he's almost like the wrestler's favorite wrestler, Eddie Guerrero. Oh, he you definitely know? is. You know, and yeah. like, th- th- that's, that's almost doing his status with the fans a disservice because he's so beloved. And the fans yeah. will want to chant for Eddie and acknowledge Eddie any chance that they can get. But also, you know? fans can be a bit stupid and also fickle. As, as a stupid, fickle fan, I agree. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Whereas, like, wrestling wrestlers favorite wrestlers that's like that's so influential because that will change the course of history's future yeah that's that will it. influence future generations and it's the fact you can hear it like you know taz and michael cole like who you know they don't have the opportunities as often maybe that they did to be like you know jr and king and do the classic calls but like they're so that you just tell the pure joy in their voices we saw footage in the documentary of like vince seeing eddie afterwards and vince is nearly in fucking tears himself like you know it meant so much and one of my favorite bits about it is he goes right over he hugs his mother he hugs like you know his hector is there like his, his family are all there and then someone throws him like the mexican flag he just catches it you know and he's posing with the flag and the belt oh what an image honestly i think i was shocked in watching this match how much more like i got goosebumps so much at the start and at the end how much more like what the match represented i guess meant to me more than the actual match itself because mm-hmm. i always say I was shocked at how like slower paced it was. I still enjoyed it, but it was a lot more of like the smaller guy grinding down the big guy by going after that body part, you know, submission based. I didn't expect that from Eddie Guerrero, but yeah, it kind of, it transcended that. It just felt like the moment was more important. I'm almost forgetting that Goldberg was even there as I'm talking about it, you know, but how did you get on with it? Because this is one of these ones that's like, this is, considered to be undeniably the best of course it is and dave Meltzer gave it 12 stars he didn't he didn't but you know gave it six stars no he didn't five stars no no no, no. i think it was only four there four and a half only there, four for dave know. Meltzer and the wwe i know at this time period he gave like 10 five stars in the entire period of the 2000s so, there you go yeah. then so that's a big deal and unsurprisingly i did not get on with this match as well <laughs> as dave Meltzer did it was good it was fine that I like this match in theory mm. and in hindsight a lot more than I actually did enjoy watching it. The The process of watching it I didn't find enjoyable. I didn't really like the pacing of this match. I didn't like the actual wrestling. It felt... I think, I think the reason I didn't like it as much was because it felt very one-sided at a time mm. in that at any point in the match there was one person being laid on yes. by the other right. so yeah, it yeah. wasn't a very mobile match i i think i've realized the more i've watched wrestling that i like wrestling as it moves around very quickly yeah you said to me it was like uh, i can't remember what it was but you're like why don't they walk out to the ring like they just really fucking hate the guy like really want to fight them and mm. you were like you mentioned examples of like God, you want to see like people fighting over like a relationship or something like yeah. that where someone really pissed them off and I was like well I guess we could watch Edge and Matt at some point but maybe wrestlers should be able to have that anger and that presence irrespective <laughs> but like yeah I think the match does ultimately mean more in theory than it is as an actual watching experience mm. you know case in point 
big old Goldberg showing up there is a massive fucking like you know, red herring almost. Yeah. It's like it feels like the WWE wants to tell you a story about Eddie Guerrero. They want to tell you about this moment, but not this match. Yes, definitely. <laughs> and I feel like he stripped away all of the performance of this match, and, and you were left just with the physical wrestling. Because the audience, I think, are are the you know they're definitely the third person in this match. Yeah, they, definitely. They, they take it over the the edge for me. But I think if you take if you strip all of that back. I don't think even Dave Meltzer would love this match as much as he says he does. I think it's the concept that is stronger than the actual wrestling. So you basically want to see this in the Thunderdome to see if these guys no. can really work, Joe. So what's your rating then? What's your rating for, for Eddie and Brock? I gave it three stars. Okay. A solid three. Solid three. It was fine. <laughs> I was disappointed there weren't more F5s. Really? You were expect I mean, he did get a lot of suplexes, Eddie did, in fairness to him, but the F5s were probably a little they bit... They were uh, quite yeah. spread out. Yeah. And I wanted it to be more like, you know, to me, a Brock Lesnar match is quite quick and yeah, snappy. Yeah. It's, you know, hard hitting. And this went on. I don't know how long this match was, but it felt long. It was a good, like, 35 minutes. Or really? Yeah, yeah, was, no yeah. fucking wonder. I don't, a, I don't think Brock Lesnar should do that. <laughs> so I don't think he's qualified. So Eddie does have a, a decent enough run with the belt. He wins it in February. I believe he loses it around about the summer. He loses it to, to JBL and they get kind of involved in a heated feud. Honestly, if we didn't talk about that feud on a JBL episode, we'd have very little to talk about in a JBL episode. So that's kind of something we'll get to down the line. We're going to have a JBL episode? Oh, yeah, it's been requested, Joe. Oh, my God. And you're going to find out how we're going to get more money now. We're going to be able to learn all about that. <laughs> But um, you know, Eddie's Eddie's kind of elevation to being a main eventer was kind of more important than almost him being the champion because you know that feud with Dominic that you know and and Ray that came after him being the champion, the lengthy feud with Ray which lasted for almost an entire year through the you know them being a tag team, and then being on opposing sides and them having lawyers and children involved, but you know I was kind of I was a massive this is the point in time where I was the biggest Eddie Guerrero fan. Simply because Lie, Cheat and Steal I thought was a, was a great gimmick. Mm. I loved that so much. I loved having a face champion who made me laugh. It reminded me of like, you know, wrestling during the glory days of the Astier or whatever it was. And I genuinely never expected him to win the belt. It was always amazing to see him with it. But I was always sitting and waiting and being kind of like, all right, though, when's, when's Eddie going to win it back, though? It's next now, right? He's going to win it back, though, right? He is going to win it back soon. Soon, right? Soon he's going to win it back. Because, uh, you know, I really want him to be the champion again. Mm. And one of his last feuds, it was him and Batista, and it was after the the Ray and Dominic thing. And you know, Eddie was he wasn't still the same guy, but it was like this dude had done all this really dark shit, so he was basically a heel, and he was trying to convince everyone that he was a good guy again. And don't worry, I'm changed. It's the old Eddie. I'm back. And they told the story with him and Batista, who was the champion. And Batista was kind of like, "Come on, man, you're Eddie Guerrero. I can't trust you." And he's like, "No, Dave, you and I were friends. We're buddies. Like we're we're, we're mates." And he had a match, No Mercy 05. It was Eddie's um, last last match. Uh, it was last uh, pay-per-view match. And he brought Batista won. They did the kind of the show of respect. And the idea was that Eddie was actually going to win the belt off him very shortly. But Eddie was going to be a face again. And it was going to be the next big run. And it was November. Shortly around the time of Survivor Series. I, I logged on to WWE.com to find out whatever it was was going to be happening on the, the match or whenever the show was starting. Whatever it was. And it was Eddie Guerrero found dead at age 38 in his hotel room. And there was no details. And I knew straight away that it was, like, it was real. I don't know. I couldn't tell you why. 
Well, why would they joke about that? Like, I mean, this—I mean, Joe, this is a company that you know we watched a Survivor Series pay per view where Jeff Hardy was allegedly found passed out in a stairwell. You know, did they put that on the website in the same way though? Yeah, yeah, they did, oh, and, that, and that was after this fact as well. You know, this is also a company that has killed people in kayfabe and you know released press releases and done ten bell salutes after this fact as well. I okay. should point as well. Look, I gotta say, there's no easy way to talk about this. Um, I was struck so much. I know you've mentioned the tweets more than I have at how this was like an end point for many people as wrestling fans because mm. it was too sad. Yeah. It's too much. Mm. And it wasn't like, oh, it's a freak accident like with Owen because that was, that was obviously heartbreaking and just made you kind of think the, ru- the world was kind of cruel and senseless. But it was as if Eddie Guerrero has died and we know how he died straight away and it's kind yeah. of clear and we all get closure. It's like Eddie Guerrero's died. I don't know. We think it's a heart thing. You know, and then it's like, well, it's a heart thing. What do you mean it's a heart thing? Is it like like Brian Pillman where he had an underlying heart defect? And like, I think we think that it's because of, you know, past drug use. He had an enlarged heart or had kind of a strain on his heart and the physical activity that he's been doing over the years and, you know, the trauma that his body's endured, that that may have played a factor. The, the reality is, is that there is no very cut and dry Here's exactly why Eddie Guerrero died. There was no foul play is involved or no. suspected. Natural causes, according to the Na- autopsy. Natural causes. He died of a heart attack, mm. you know, and his his heart in post-mortem, it, his heart was enlarged and it was, it was under a lot of stress. Yeah, and strain. along with a lot of his other organs, apparently. Yeah, and that is kind of, you know, you, you party hard or you abuse your body through, not necessarily through partying, because I'm sure when Eddie was taking, you know, growth hormone and mm. steroids and all, he didn't think he was partying. He thought he was doing his fucking job and working to get into the body shape that this company and this culture of American wrestling expects me to have. Yeah. You were saying something about how, like, where he was found, because it was in Minnesota. That yeah, there was they some have, kind of a legal grey area there. Or... They have confidentiality laws there. Right. So not all of the information, I believe, was ever released about the circumstances under which he was found or the circumstances under which he died. Mm. So a lot of the information that is out there is from Rick, Vicky Guerrero, who did a statement for the WWE just yeah. after, I think about a month after he passed, they did a report. I know Chavo, he's, you know, he talked about on Jericho's podcast. I remember that's when I first found out that Chavo was the one who found him. I know on Dark Side of the Ring, which we saw as well, there were more details, which I was completely unaware of, that Chavo found Eddie and Eddie was still alive. Mm. You know, he had he was passed out with his toothbrush in his hand. He could still hear him gurgling, but his his lungs and his heart, I think, had just had given out at that mm. point. So that was, you know, that was that was beyond shocking, you know, to, to find out those details. And there's no, you know, there's no no good way to die at 38. No, but to have a family member die in your arms is like, yeah. I am amazed that Chavo Guerrero is as seemingly kind of okay. Okay, mm. like that is like you know I I I knew someone in school, and their sister, their older sister, they were coming out of a festival, and someone got knocked over by a car and died in front of them, mm. and this happened when their sister would have been like eighteen or nineteen, mm. and it changed them. It just like they went from being like kind of someone who was very like not necessarily happy-go-lucky but just kind of their their energy their demeanor just kind of changed because seeing that happen just i think a life going in front of you is just something that is is it affects you in, in a way that yeah. is kind of it's not understandable by the rest of us so yeah like that is is trauma unbeknownst to anything and you just kind of hear you know the, the trickle of people fi- finding out like benoit finds out and he just screams 
you know, because you were kind of asking me, like, how did Vicky find out so much later than everyone yeah, else? She found out through Vincible people, and it just—it's just weird. She heard that, a kind of a rumor, like you know. Yeah, it's just so weird. The wrestling world, where like that's just that's like my worst nightmare. The idea of like you know you're away and you know yeah, or just like hearing through the grapevine that your partner is dead, and then having to hear from their boss that Can, yeah, is it they, true? They yeah. died. Yeah, you know. It is it was unbelievably shocking, you know, and you know they did the right things in so much as like what can you do in those moments? You have to have like I th- I do believe there is um there is power in kind of collective grief, and I think that wrestling it's one of those things that's probably difficult to explain to folks outside of wrestling. I'm sure you find it very strange when you first start watching wrestling. The idea of these tribute shows where it's like, hey, it's Monday Night Raw, but the wrestlers are going to perform in honor of someone who's passed away and talk to the camera about it. You know, I still think that the uh, the Brody Lee tribute episode is that kind of confirmed to me the the healing power mm. of inexplicably a wrestling show. Mm. You know, possibly because of of half of these tragic deaths. You know, is wrestling itself the nature of the beast or whatever. But there always was with 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 that point. I remember the folks I was watching wrestling with. There was just this kind of sense of like, why, you know, he. And and I in or reviewing of this material and or looking back and, and the researching of it, there's kind of part of me that goes, well, like I was on board with this narrative. Here was a guy who I thought was just a great wrestler and really entertaining. Mm. And you know, in two thousand and one, I didn't necessarily care about Eddie Guerrero's personal life or his struggles or anything like that. I didn't care about most wrestlers' personalized or struggles other than probably Mick Foley. Yeah. And yeah, I felt like maybe that was it. The, one of the reasons why this was probably one of the hardest, hardest deaths for wrestling fans was that we already loved him so much as a performer. He's probably half the people's favorite thing on the show. Mm. But you opened up his life to us. You made us feel his struggles. And more importantly, you made us feel his, his triumphs. Yeah, you they know? gave us a happy ending. And then that then, was denied. You know, then you realize that wrestling companies and humans don't get to decide endings. Yeah, life isn't fiction, and in real life, we don't get to have happy endings necessarily, not in the ways that we'd like to. And that like that kind of made that that tone of that documentary very strange. Yeah, because it does have that note of that's it, right off into the sunset. And it's like, well, you know, that you know, it is real life, you know. And especially with like the references in the documentary to them saying, like, oh God, we didn't want him to, you know. We didn't want to wake up one day at 5.30 in the morning and find him dead in a hotel room from exactly, a drug overdose. Exactly what happened, though. And it's like, know? yeah, sometimes it's not about drug overdoses, though. Sometimes you can completely recover. You can do all that hard work. You can really take the time and the gather the strength to change who you are as a person and battle your addictions and win. And even that sometimes isn't enough. Sometimes the damage is already done. That's not like a narrative that fits into a wrestling show, you know? No. And that's not a narrative that kind of fits into, you know, even though it happens, we don't want it to fit into life because it just feels so cruel and so wrong. It feels and so, so unfair. And so I think unfair. as humans, we you know, we, we want clear, nice little answers to wrap up on bows on things. And, that, and yeah, that's what wrestling is meant to provide, an escape mm. to provide those answers. And I think know? the fact that he died not from a drug overdose you know he didn't do anything he didn't cause really his own death he didn't do one thing that made him die young but also he had historically done things that contributed to his body getting to that place so it's so complicated it's not as easy as like being like well you know it had to happen because he was mistreating himself and it was just like the logical conclusion it's like no he had overcome that and he had won and he was actually in an amazing place but it's like 
you know, we've got to accept that sometimes it's you can't. Yeah, you can't. You'd have a crystal ball. You don't know yeah. what's going to happen next. And I Enjoy think, what you've got while you can. I mean, part of it as well is like when you look at what happens with WWE after this point. You know, and I honestly think you know people look at the Chris Benoit tragedy in two thousand. You know, that happened a few years later as being this kind of like major shift point in like kind of the culture and also the awareness of public perception. And I think the way WWE is now and its kind of corporate attitude was shaped and molded extremely by that. But I think their response to that event was molded by this event here. Yeah, this was the the spark. This basically. was the spark, and you know, I'm not saying like you know, I I don't think it's the case because. This, for me, was the period of time. I was telling you, no exaggeration. Every week I felt like a wrestler was dying. Yeah. You know, every fucking week it felt like I was logging on. And it's like, oh, that guy who, yeah, you remember he came in, he wrestled a bit in his 20s and then his 30s disappeared and then in his early 30s he's dead and you just kind of don't know about them anymore. Like, you know, I, there's so many times it's happened to me where I have to, like, remind myself that some of these wrestlers have passed because mm. so many of them happened and it's kind of like so much, there's so much outpouring of grief from Eddie that almost felt like numb when other wrestlers like you were a big part of my childhood who, who passed away as well and I think you know? you know, yeah the nature of wrestling means that sometimes wrestlers you know they just vanish into obscurity and mm. they don't die they yeah. go off and live happy not lives with their families and they get normal jobs working in a shop or whatever mm. or being an engineer and so I think sometimes it's just easier to just tell yourself you know that's what happened really they just went off into obscurity rather than Let's think about the fact that all these people died and we will never see or hear from them again. So like kind of the, the, the main reaction from it is the wellness policy, mm. you know, formally bringing in, you know, corporate guidelines and kind of contractual obligations and sanctions and, you know, kind of a, a, an actual chain of command that was much more in line with what professional sports teams like the NFL, like in the NFL and, mm. you know, and that like we're, we're doing to basically say like we are providing adequate testing adequate support and also adequate sanctions you know whatever it may be you could do a whole episode on the shortcomings of the wellness policy mm. the fact that people have had strikes on the wellness policy and have not been fired as they're meant to have been or people who seemingly don't get tested because mm -hmm. of an asterisk beside their name but then i hear stories like i think it was mvp once he said you know it was a couple of years after this and he was like you know uh we've been tested a lot more recently but I got pulled into to the head office a while back and they were like, yeah, we need to check something with you. And I was like, well, what's wrong? It's like, we need to come and take the special test. And it was a high-end electrocardiogram they wanted to take mm. on his heart. Oh, and it turned out he had this tiny little electric, you know, it was with, with the actual pacemaker in his heart was the charge that was coming out of it was like slightly off. Wow. And it wasn't like, oh, this is going to kill you tomorrow. But it was like one of these things that if left unchecked and living the lifestyle of, you know, fucking tacking on muscle mass and yeah. traveling and injuries and all that you know, it could be a worry for you. And mm. he's like, you know, maybe my life got saved there. I always mentioned Roddy Piper. They found his lymphoma because they decided to book him in a tag team match, you know, a Taboo Tuesday. You know, yeah. there, there are plenty of one-off examples where you can go, thank fuck for that wellness policy. And it's better than there being nothing in place there. Absolutely. If that wellness policy place was in there, would Eddie Guerrero have been saved and would he have been caught? I don't really understand that, you know? right? So because in the documentary, they actually mention after... I think it's his first overdose, how he was checked up on by a wellness coach. Yeah. But that's different from the wellness policy. Yes. So they would have like people who like, you know, whose job it was to check up on them and stuff like that. You know, people who administer, you know, the drug tests or, or things like that. Or mm. people who, you know, check their prescriptions, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Or, or you know, whose job is to find out about their 
their recovery if they're injured or whatever it is. But the wellness policy was more about it was kind of the, the three strikes and you're out rule. You know, you get caught with one of the banned substances, it's a fine. Second time, it's a 30 day suspension. Third time, it's like a 60 day suspension. And I think it was the fourth time it was you're fired, or third time it was you're fired, whichever it was. I'm sorry, I'm confusing because Randy Orton proved that uh, you can oh, right, you yeah. can do whatever the fuck you want with that and still keep a job. I can't remember what strike it is if you shit in someone's bag, but that was that was neither here nor there. <laughs> but I think you know it was it, it felt a little bit, and particularly given that probably the most tragic things to happen to that company and to the wrestlers involved in it happened years after that fact. Mm-hmm it did feel like and still does feel like a bit of stick in plaster. It's something that has gotten better as the years have went on. Yeah. I think they like to pride themselves on it and all that. The medical testing is, is certainly mm. well above board now. But um, I think it was a case that Eddie Guerrero was probably not able to be saved by the wrestling business because the wrestling business was still in an old school mentality of we'll test them here and there. You doing well? Yeah. Cool. He's doing well. You know? Yeah. But, you know... It was uncomfortable to watch Eddie Guerrero in some of those clips from 2005. Mm. The man was a fucking statue. He was a a gargantuan beast. When we just seeing his whole career, seeing the size that Mm -hmm. he tacked on. And you know, Rey Mysterio, he came out in 2009 or whatever and said, you know, he had a painkiller addiction. Mm. He did an open letter about it. He cited specifically Eddie Guerrero saying, you know, Eddie was doing, you know, uh, uh, growth hormone and steroids. And that's why I, I need to kind of get my life in line you know it's kind of is still speculative what was going on with eddie towards the end of his life yeah but it's it's a sad ending it really Mm. is and i just kind of the nicest thing that's come from it was the fact that eddie is kind of seems to have transcended like wwe and ultimate warrior that's like oh we can make money out of this this is a narrative this is a a story to tell let's let's kind of oh that bit doesn't look good let's get rid of that bit (laughs) oh let's change that bit delete that blog delete that blog as well and that one shit delete all the blogs Whereas it feels like Eddie Guerrero, it's like, you know what, the story of Eddie Guerrero transcends WWE. Yeah. I will probably see people, I've actually have seen people chanting Eddie, Eddie, Eddie at fucking matches in Salford because (laughs) someone's busted out the three amigos. That ain't WWE, you know, that's, Eddie's kind of legacy has transcended. It's, it's belongs to the fans, it feels like, and to the wrestlers, not to, you know, WWE aren't pumping out Eddie Guerrero documentaries every year. They probably know why mm. it's actually not that great a story for them to tell the more you think about it the worse it makes them look yeah definitely you know i mean was any of it kind of like surprising to you the kind of details of his passing or kind of what happened i guess the thing i found most confusing was just like how much of it is still unknown mm. and i don't know if there's like a case of like that there needs to be more research into this. But, like, I was looking up the heart condition that he had. I can't remember the name of it. It's got a very complicated name, so excuse me. But I was looking at, like, the treatment options, and there is no cure for it. So even if they had found that he had a problem, the the treatment recommended for those people is exercise and a better diet, which I'm willing to bet is already something he was doing. Yeah, And I think if anything like vicky guerrero said that it was his workout regime that led to his early death oh she said that in that uh that's what she said yeah, in her statement yeah she said it was that combined with misuse of drugs and alcohol mm. so i don't know maybe there's a case of like we need to have a better understanding of like you know like muscle mass on older men is actually really good for the heart i thought it was bad for the heart but it's actually really good mm. But obviously there's a limit to that. Yeah. And there's probably a link as well with 
your natural body size yeah, and shape. That's it, yeah. And maybe there needs to be a bit more of an understanding about, you know, proportionally. And also how far is too far? And at what point yeah. should maybe rest be prescribed instead yeah. of more exercise? Yeah, I, I think so. I think it's 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 definitely, like, you know, that it's, you know, that's something that happens, you know, 17 years ago, whatever it is now. So you, you know that it's, the medical industry and the medical profession has, has advanced, hopefully, to a better place than there. But it's just like, I think that's, that's always a little bit at the back of my mind anytime I'm kind of like, I get hung up about that age old thing from the, the 90s and the 80s of like the big guys and the big guys and you know the big guys are the, the top guys and you know you want to be in this industry you got to be a big and Vince Vince likes the big guys it's like yeah. you know, it's not just a case of like oh god you're so stupid because you think a bigger guy is better when the little guy can be just as good it's actually just a case of like this fucking poison mentality that's as damaging as any fucking drug of making someone feel that they need to be biologically a shape that they cannot fucking be yeah that's like like there's body dysmorphia and then there's a like fucking you know body dysmorphia which makes you kind of have eating disorders and stuff like that and then there's body dysmorphia which makes you like try and like have a body that is like just not not recommended absolutely and you know you, that's 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 the real anger there from that you and know? the more you look into wrestling especially when you look into people like vince mcmahon the more you realize that actually most wrestlers have body dysmorphia and most yeah. of them have eating disorders or binge eating disorders and their relationship a... to exercise their relationship to exercise and food is often not as healthy as you might think well that's like one small thing i wanted to bring up and i didn't know a lot about it but it was kind of like it did kind of pop into my head when we were watching some of the the, the ray and dominic clips because eddie was talking about you know the guerrero legacy because he has daughters and he wants a son to carry on his name and i always love the little references they make to dominic mysterio being you know you know on the show and little nods to eddie i think that's really cool but eddie's daughter shawl guerrero he would have seen she's only a, a young young girl in that documentary she actually did train to become a wrestler and she was signed to nxt she made a couple of appearances like 2014 or thereabouts and she was kind of being positioned up there like a Summer Ray or a Sasha Banks or a Paige as being like, she's going to be one of the one of the stars. And yeah, get, get this as well, she's Eddie Guerrero's daughter. But she left wrestling because um, it helped, it made her develop an eating disorder. Right, yeah. And she found the training and the lifestyle. And that was like early performance center days where, you know, you're being handled a lot safer than you would have been than Eddie on the fucking road, just mm. jammed in a car and making towns. And she kind of had to say, you know what, it's not good for me. I'm going to step away from it because, it, yeah. you know, she's found, she's had peace outside of wrestling. She's actually married to Aiden English, would you believe? Really? I know, weird, <laughs> weird round of They meet on NXT. <laughs> I know, I think that's actually kind of what it was. But, you know, I kind of feel like Eddie Guerrero is one of those wrestlers, though, where, like, you don't got to worry about no Guerrero family legacy. You know, Shaw Guerrero, Raquel Diaz, whatever you want to call her, like, you know, I don't think she needs to be in wrestling to ensure the Guerrero legacy kind of endures. It's pretty damn yeah. safe the legacy is beyond a bloodline yeah it's impacted the whole industry yeah absolutely and that's it it's like eddie guerrero is kind of he seeped into the groundwater of wrestling you know no one owns the guerrero legacy you're not going to find the fucking guerrero legacy award being given out to corporate partners give it time you yeah. <laughs> but i'm just saying he ain't a fucking brand he's a real person mm. you know and where the lines blur between that person's story of triumph and ultimate tragedy you know yeah we were we were kind of let into that it made it special it also made it harder mm. but eddie guerrero's legacy i think is one of the surefire things in this world of wrestling where nothing in 2022 seems a certainty 
Eddie Guerrero being loved and revered forever is absolutely a certainty as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Let's get into some of your tweets about Eddie Guerrero. First up from For Kit's Sake. Some of my earliest wrestling memories involve watching Eddie and China on Heat. Little nine-year-old me didn't yet realise that I had the biggest crush on them both. <laughs> One of the best all-round wrestlers and entertainers in the world that I'm blessed to have seen live. Oh my god! A lot of people tweeted in to say that they had seen Eddie live. That's amazing. You know, and he's one of those wrestlers as well. You know, it's a dying breed, I think, is it, as it relates because you know the live event wrestling scene for the big companies isn't what it used to be many yeah. years ago. But you know, the, the guy who'd go out on the, the the performer who'd go out on a house show, knowing that you're not in the greatest of arenas with a smaller crowd, and go, you know what? I'm going to give these people something to remember. That, I'm I'm jealous as fuck. That's <laughs> what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Next up from Sick Hand Eddie, didn't like him for years because he was a heel called Eddie, and everyone said I was him in school. Didn't realize at the time that he was one of the reasons I fell in love with wrestling because he was so believable as a shithead in 2000, and I wanted him to lose. That that's it. Like you know, that's part of that story as well, and the reasons why. You know, it was meant so much when he finally became champion and he got that push was because like he was one of those guys as a kid, as Eddie was saying, like, I fucking hated Eddie Guerrero. Yeah. Like, you know, as a kid, he he got heel heat. I did not like him. I did not like that he cheated. I did not like how he com- composed himself. I you did know? not like him, Sam. I am. <laughs> Next up from Joe Del Toro, one of the first wrestlers I saw live when he was in Los Guerreros. Well, so is this only people who've seen Eddie Guerrero live? Who've got yeah, sorry, from? we've actually uh, we've made a bit of a gang. Why, have you club. seen him live? Yeah, as well? I've actually gone back in time and, and I've seen him live as well. God damn and it! He was awesome. It was really good, and I got to meet him and backstage, and he was really cool. And we we shared a little in joke, and he whispered something to me. I won't. I can't tell you that. It's private. You, would, you wouldn't understand. You wouldn't get it. You had to be there. <laughs> Absolutely everyone was mad for him, but my favourite thing he did was get us all to quiet down before encouraging us to give the same chants and cheers to Chavo. Thought it was lovely. Aww. He was very giving. That's so fucking nice. He's a kind, sweet man. Oh, that God, that is literally the sweetest fucking thing. He's like less charismatic nephew. Yay! See? Yeah. <laughs> uh, actually, that's what I wanted to ask you about because you know, uh, it did come up. We, we watched uh, Brian Zane's video about this. I know we've kind of been chatting about it a little bit but uh you know chavo was someone who people thought that after eddie's passing would get this kind of guerrero legacy kind mm. of or you know get to carry the torch ready but instead they did it with ray i know they came from the ray episode the use of eddie's name after his death and his passing how did that ring with you was that something you uh you, you, you had any opinions on? <laughs> I think it's fine. Yeah. I think it can definitely be done tastelessly. What, like Randy Orton going, who's in hell? I don't personally even mind that. How about him blowing up Eddie Guerrero's lowrider? That I don't mind either. After, okay. That's, okay. <laughs> but I'm probably the wrong person to ask because I don't have this special long bound relationship with Eddie Guerrero where I had to watch him go through all his highs and lows and things and then had to experience his death in real time. Like... You know, I'm coming from this as a much, like, you know, set yeah. in the future perspective. Yeah, yeah. And I just think of it as like, God, it's all stuff that I think he would have really liked. Yeah. Like, it was all like, you know, character building and really effective. And I don't feel any of it came from a place of like, like hate or no, judgment. No, I don't think so. 
But I think two months after his death, I don't think I'd processed it enough as a angsty 15 year old. Yeah, two months does like, seem too soon. Can he become a mischievous spirit now, please? Yeah. That, that, that ain't helping anyone. I didn't realise it was so soon after his death. Yeah, oh yeah. I thought it was, it was kind of a couple of years. No, no, no. It was a couple of weeks. Oh yeah, no, that's too soon. Yeah, too yeah. soon, brother. <laughs> Next up from Will is also young. Eddie was not just a terrific wrestler, but adept at portraying a lovable rapscallion of a baby face or that a truly loathsome yes. heel. Yes, Galleon is a great word. Great, did, especially for him. Yeah, if Eddie Guerrero was an onion. He'd be a rap scallion. <laughs> Boo! He took the business perhaps too seriously, but he is remembered for his passion to this day. I think that's interesting. I don't think that's something that we we, we touched on him taking it kind of too seriously. I think but, anyone know, I think, who lives that lifestyle, yeah, that who, is too serious, who is given a year and a half to recover and comes back in six mm. months, that's you're taking it too seriously. You yeah. need to take your own health that seriously, actually, not just your career. I don't think I'll ever understand that level of passion or love for something mm. you know and i'm kind of almost glad because i'm worried about being as passionate or oh i'm jealous anything, i'd know? love to care about something as much as someone like eddie cared about wrestling yeah but it's kind of it it takes something from you yeah you know it feels like you lose autonomy or something like that yeah maybe it's there's a kind of a fucking you know lizard brain i read a book about psychology in, in 2010 once Makes me go like, is that part of the kind of addictive cycle of behavior? Mm. Is that you know, it's wrestling itself. The the reward of the art form is. I do. Is kind of I like do that, think wrestling know? encourages addictive behavior because when you perform, you get an adrenaline high, and then it goes, and then it goes, and then you're kind of left on your own. And then you're sore, and you've not only got that adrenaline high of performing the way mm. you would if you were doing a play, but you've got the physical adrenaline high as well of doing exercise, and then yeah. the endorphins wearing off from that. So I think it does. I'm not saying that like it will make you an addict, but I think it already. It fires up those neurons in your brain that make you go, I love this thing. And then I'm really sad. I do feel like a lot of the wrestlers who are accused of taking themselves or taking wrestling too seriously, generally speaking, were vindicated, you know, throughout their career. Yeah. But I think in, in modern times, taking it very seriously. I don't know if we'll say the same thing about people who are accused of taking it seriously now, 20, mm. in 20 years time. Somehow. Maybe it's one of those things that you just have to, you can only speculate on after the fact. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Next from LT, Dangerous. I saw Smackdown in Manchester once. Eddie's night's work. Oh, come on. <laughs> I saw it in your, where you live as well. I came to Kevin's home. In your favourite meal as well. saw Eddie Guerrero. Um, and he said, no, there's no time to meet Kevin Holmes. Let's just go to the show instead. Come on, guys. Let's all hang out in the club without no! that loser, Kevin. Yeah. <laughs> Eddie's night's work with Big Show ended with Eddie farting in Big Show's face from the stink face position. Yeah. Eddie then got on the mic and announced, Orale, it's great to be in Manchester to give Big Show a shit burger. Delighting <laughs> all. <laughs> <laughs> That's my new favourite Eddie Guerrero moment. I yeah. don't think I've even seen it. Like. It's like equivalent to the Rey Mysterio thing where he like, whispers in the child's head, do fucking something with your life, kid. <laughs> <laughs> Eddie Guerrero farting on the big show in Manchester. Orale, it's a shit burger. <laughs> Viva la raza. Next up from C. Jellio, passion. That's what comes to mind. Yes. I still get goosebumps from the clip of him winning the WWE title. As shocking as his passing was, his legacy will live on forever. Bandido just did the Three Amigos at the GCW show on Saturday night with 2,000 people chanting Eddie. Well, there you go. Like, you know, and it's, it's, that's, I think that's, you know, more I'm thinking about it, the more about like kind of, I don't know, Eddie Guerrero's like fucking public domain now, it feels like, yeah. you know? 
ain't no one trademarking the Eddie chance. That's a good thing. I'm really happy that that's kind of part of wrestling now. You know, it's enduring. And if it makes someone kind of watching a match who's, you know, you're watching a wrestling show and you're like, oh, I'm enjoying this. Everyone starts chatting for this Eddie Guerrero guy. You go, oh. And you can go and you can Google him. Google him and all of a sudden... How to like Eddie Guerrero. <laughs> oh, there's a podcast. Or maybe I'll use the number two instead. Of... <laughs> <laughs> but I just kind of, you know, I feel like Eddie Guerrero is like a great a great thing for any new wrestling fan to discover. Mm. You know, I like, you know, you're so many of those, su- such a smorgasbord of like the great things about wrestling, not just great things about WWE or sports entertainment, great things about like Lucha Libre, great things about fucking, you know, great things about ECW I see in Eddie Guerrero. That's like... He's like kind of, I don't know, like the big Argus catalogue of all the things that are great about wrestling. You can thumb through and find any number of them. Like, I remember we've, we've watched a lot of promos for wrestlers for these podcasts. And it's usually like kind of, oh, this guy, you know, this person made me laugh. Or this person kind of, oh, I really dug their intensity. Or they, they really had a way of speaking. But I feel like it's like nine different things about his promos I'm thinking about right now that I like, you know? I can't remember who it was who said it, but, but someone in the documentary said that he had this like, he said, if you think of wrestling as this, like, circle, Eddie Guerrero's knowledge was just, like, a globe. It yeah. was just, like, he was able to think in dimensions that most people 360 degrees! That most people couldn't even, <laughs> like, perceive, let alone yeah. think of or see themselves. And it's just, like, he thought about things in such a different, unique, and modern way. Yeah, I think that is, like... That that's what makes him stand out. It's not like he's an all rounder. It's the all rounder, the ultimate all rounder, the fucking Mario of wrestling. Yeah, is what he, is he like. didn't look at wrestling and go, "God, I can't wait to be a wrestler," or look at the promos that people can't go, God, "I can't wait to be a performer." It's like he just loved every part of it and wanted to be great at everything. Yeah, he fucking succeeded, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Last up now from Space King Bobby. Thoughts on Eddie? He was a world class athlete in a separate class by himself. Capable of eliciting a full gamut of emotions. Joy, love, humour as a face, mm. disgust, sadness and hate as a heel. His loss was tragic. And as a fan, he has missed terribly. Oh, man. Well, that's a that's a nice a nice point as any to, to end the talk about Eddie Guerrero. I think uh, that's, that's definitely sentiments I'd agree with. I think... Yeah, that was something that you know, I definitely learned from this. You know, I you always knew that he was a, a great wrestler, and I always knew that he was liked by the wrestlers. But just you know, uh, it's so many times there's so much dark shit in in the the world of wrestling. It's just nice to find out about those little moments of someone, you know, whether it be to fans or just be to the other fucking wrestlers of them. You know, just felt like a different cut, a different cut. You mm. know, it cut from something better. I'm not sure if it's because. He came from a, a wrestling family and there's the kind of the respect for, for wrestling that comes from that way that you can't get if you're just someone who walks in off the street or if he was just a good guy or whatever it was. But yeah, it, that definitely. And not many people we can say that about in this podcast, generally no. speaking, you know. Uh, I have really enjoyed talking about Eddie Guerrero. I, I'm a bit wet in the eyes at the moment, Aww. although it was uh, not as difficult as I, as I thought because I think the greatest antidote to any kind of difficult stuff about Eddie was just... I know, seeing you enjoy him as much as you did. Yeah. Is he, where does he rank up there, Joe? How, how do you think about Eddie? I think it's really hard to rank him because he just feels like he's in, like, you know, as Space King Bobby said, he's a in a class by himself. Like, mm. he's just, like, so unique and so important and such a, an integral part to the industry now. I feel like, you know, there's often times where I'm like, oh, would you like to watch more matches or watch more problems or whatever? But he's definitely one of these guys where I felt like, 
your answer would be yes to both of those things, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, I hope in future episodes he crops up more. Oh, well, I think that's always, I mean, I will always try and do that when it's a wrestler who I feel like has clicked with you and like helps you understand certain parts of wrestling. And I think definitely Eddie is, is in that category. Mm. So let's try and force him in as much as possible. <laughs> Get out of here, Ric Flair. It's Eddie Guerrero's Move turn. <laughs> Our next episode is one that I'm very, very excited for. A little bit of a different change of pace, different uh, different character, but one that I think we will have a lot of fun talking about. It's one of my all-time faves from when I was a kid, and I cannot wait to talk about the fantastic career and the dance moves of Rikishi. Rikishi Fatu is our next episode. It's How To Rikishi. We're after your favorite matches, moments, Dance numbers, <laughs> automobile accident. <laughs> <laughs> Times he ran over Stone Cold Steve Austin. Yeah, all all that and much much more. How to Rikishi is the next episode. I want to see through your eyes. I want to see the joy that made him be the guy that we were all pretending to be on the playground. Why was everyone dancing and pretending to be a four hundred pound Samoan in the year two thousand? Help Joe understand as best as we can. Use the hashtag HowToRikishi. All I know about Rikishi is that he would sit on people's faces. You know that? I'm pretty sure I showed you that TMZ headline where he's like, Kim Kardashian, you got nothing on my fat ass. <laughs> <laughs> he's like looking right down the lens like. He should have recreated the breaking the internet shoot with the champagne <laughs> bottle on him. That would have been oh, great. Damn it, we should have done that for the artwork. But <laughs> what, I, I'll just say the artwork for the Eddie Guerrero one is fucking, oh my God. Dirt first, dance one. Thank you so much. Dan did an amazing job of this, but... You ain't seen shit till you've seen that Rikishi artwork. Oh my god. Wait till you see the sight of this man busting a move. Check it out over on HowToWrestling.com. Your home for all How To Wrestling episode information. You'll get match lists, recommended bonus viewing, and recommended other episodes that we reference that you might want to check out there as well. Your home for all How To Wrestling. HowToWrestling.com. And don't forget, if you have a project a podcast, a YouTube series, a website, an upcoming event, or a thing that you would like to be advertised to our 10,000 unique listeners, why not hit us up at howtowrestling at gmail.com. We do have some advertising slots available later in the year. Until next time, though, we're going to be learning all about Rikishi Fatu. It's a goodbye from me, Kevin. And a goodbye from me, Joe. Viva la raza, and we'll see you next time on How To Wrestling. See ya.